Good morning for British Columbia there, Jason. Yeah, good. You're in morning here in British Columbia right now? I am. Yeah, we're just north of Cranbrook on the mountainside here. Trying to get one last holiday in with my wife and my dogs before uh, before the fall hits us here pretty hard. So. Yeah, you know, I was checking CESAs earlier. They still had you in Saskatchewan, so I guess you haven't updated them. No, we're, we're good. We've been traveling around British Columbia. We went way up north in British Columbia, visited some friends up there. We worked our way down through Prince George, down through uh, Cache Creek, Kamloops, and now we're down in the southern part of, uh, of BC enjoying life. One little last holiday. We took two weeks this year, and with, with the demanding fall we have coming with trial for, for literally two months, I decided it was time to take a break. So my son's at home running the trucking company, and stressing out is what i normally do so it's good to see he's he stepped up a little bit he's taking the pressure and how's he handling the pressure is he getting used to it yeah he's doing good the first week he was a little on the crazy side and then the second week he's kind of settled into it and he kind of sees now holy crap that's why dad can't answer my phone all the time in in, in the day in the week so he's he's done good i've raised a, a hell of a good 20 year old kid there he's maintenance and fixing and getting things ready and dispatch he's done an amazing job so that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, do you have other kids? So you have the 20 year old son. Do you have other kids? I've got an 18 year old daughter, and I've also got two stepkids, uh, Mason and Danica, who are 23 and 16. So we've got a, we had a house full at one time. Now we're kind of, uh, we traded the kid camper off for an old, old toy hauler. We put the side by side in the back. And once a year, we disappear into British Columbia to do some mountain trails and mine hunting. Mine hunting. So what does that mean? You're actually searching oh. for. Yeah, the old mines. We find the old mine sites from the old 1800s on the side-by-side -side with the GPS, and uh, we just go explore. Man, some of the sites are 6,000 feet up in the air. Um, beautiful scenery. Uh, BC is just absolutely gorgeous. You're not planning to move there, are you? Are you staying in Saskatchewan? I'm a prairie boy, so I don't think I could leave the prairies. Uh, the farm I live on was, uh, was uh, created by my great-grandfather in 1905. My grandfather raised his family there, and uh, I've raised my family there too. So, quite a few generations there. You'll never get me off the prairies. So. Yeah, I, I, I had my younger years in Saskatoon. So, I was born in northern Manitoba. Then, we did the younger years in Saskatoon. Then, my teen years in, in Manitoba, so Winnipeg. And then I went out east to do some computer stuff, do some business stuff. Now, I'm back to raise the kids out here. It's the best place to be. You're, I think it's the prairies. Around the Boots area, whereabouts are you at? I'm west of Edmonton, so near Drayton Valley, right in the bush. Yeah, right in the bush. We got no power lines here, none of that stuff. We're in the trailer, solar, Starlink. Nice. And bring the show to you today. Well, I've been following your yeah, it's not... and i got to commend Go you on that. It's been great, great watching what you've been doing with, uh, with uh, bringing a lot of light to the Coots boys. So congratulations on that. I really appreciate what you're doing there. Well, thank you very much, sir, Chris. And it wasn't meant to happen like the... Things just happen. I think God is great, and sometimes he, he presents a plan to you and a path to you, and then you just follow it. Uh, but thank you very much. Uh, the men definitely deserve a, a louder voice than they, they had previously, and uh, we have, have to expose some of this corruption uh, around the media and the government, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's bullshit. It's been, it's been far too long. These boys have lost two, almost two years of their life here with, no, with nothing. Courts have failed them. The RCMP have failed them. I think we kind of somewhat failed them too because there's no more people angry about this right now. And, and I tell you, if I didn't have my upcoming trial and the charges against myself pending, we could be definitely doing a little bit more. But I've been told to kind of lay low on things until my my stuff is settled. So we'll continue to do that. 
Yeah, and I think maybe part of the design was to have multiple issues all over the place in a bunch of different arenas, like in the schools, in the government, in the libraries, and in the remand centers. There's so many problems we have to deal with that it's tough to pick one and work on it, isn't it? It is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's distraction, right? And it's coming from a government level, and we're all like squirrels in a cage right now, unfortunately, whether you like to admit it or not. Yeah, yeah, and then they're coming after some of our best, like you and Tamara and others, and, and making it difficult for you to follow your heart and, and do the things that you want to do. Um, so I do appreciate the fact that you have to be sensitive because of the legal issues. But boy, we can't wait for you to be found innocent. And unfortunately, in Canada, you have to be found innocent. You're not found guilty here. You're found innocent here. And I can't wait for that day to come for you. Me as well. It's going to be, you know, I haven't been able to speak to Tamara one-on-one -on -one without legal, without counsel present. For, since I met her, really. I met her in uh, the early part of January. We spent a couple, about a month together there and, and got to know her. She's an amazing person. And mm -hmm. uh, that was pretty much ripped out of her hands. And, was, you know, conditions against each other. And you got to go. And now on September 5th, we'll enter the courtroom together in Ottawa and, uh, and back at her, I guess. As soon as the conditions are lifted, then you'll be able to see Tamara and I do some public speaking and we get to tell our side of the story. So. Yeah, maybe we'll get Tom Marazzo in there for a high five for the three. Oh, yeah. Because that, that picture wasn't allowed. So maybe yeah, it will be allowed yeah. soon. <laughs> you know, I was invited <laughs> to that same thing, right? I uh, Were you? I was invited to that same thing where she got into trouble with that picture with Tom, and I chose to kind of stay away, and not, not wanting to get in a position where it could be a compromise. And, uh, yeah, it was a scary one. How easy, it's, right? No kidding. And it's such a small world. Like, I'm now friends with even Stacy, the one who took the picture. Uh, this entire community is full of great people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in an interview with Jamie Soleil the other day with Canadians for Truth, her and I discussed the fact that, you know, Jamie's got this really good saying for the people and the friends that she's lost through this, these mandates and all this government division. Look at the community that we've built because of it. So we've, we've got amazing community. Yeah, I was giving a speech just the other day in Drain Valley, and I asked the crowd, I said, do you think his words, him being that guy we don't speak about anymore, do you think his words were divisive or unifying? Because I think it's unifying, because even though he tried to be divisive, what ended up happening was it brought a whole bunch of us together. It did. It gave people a voice, a lot of people that were, were lost and essentially felt alone. You know, I have a small fringe minority sticker on the back of my camper, for crying out loud, and I get honks from truckers all the time when we were traveling around BC. It's awesome. Yeah, and around Alberta, you'll see this bumper sticker everywhere as well. And we were just driving home after being in court in Lethbridge to follow that. And yeah, there was a car driving there, and we pulled up, rolled down the window. Yeah, you go. It was kind of <laughs> neat it. to start seeing that everywhere. I love it. Yeah, but not enough. I got to tell you, though, Chris, not enough. It yeah. still seems like there's a lot of people who are sleeping out there and just simply either not caring or not paying attention. Are you seeing that as well? I think we're such a busy, busy world now. I mean, the government, I was born and raised in, in a farming community in, in Saskatchewan, and my mother was a stay-at-home mother. My father was a, was a farmer and was able to drive bus in the off years and have an income there where my mother was able to stay home and raise us. And you don't see that anymore now with, with house prices being as high and inflation and all the rest. You don't see that. You know, both parents have to work. Both parents are busy. And unfortunately, it takes away from raising your children and being involved in what community is, right? Yeah, you're 100%. We had to uh, downsize our, our, our life in order to provide a homeschool for our children. Uh, we made that decision when we were living in Ontario before we left. Uh, the schools were going crazy. There was a lot of strikes. And then the lockdown with the COVID was basically the final straw. 
Um, so we've been homeschooling ever since. So yeah, we had to make that sacrifice, remove one income and downsize. Happiest decision we've ever made. Couldn't be more pleased with the progress of the children and our family gets to uh, spend a lot of time together. So yeah, if, if, yeah, absolutely quality time chasing the chickens. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're brilliant little kids too. <laughs> Good. Keep them away from the cell phones and the technology and we'll be fine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, he's a sponge. Both my boys are just sponges when it comes to uh, uh, what we give them. So we work hard on making sure it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And the faith that, that we're teaching them is, is uh, they love it. They absolutely love it. That's something but you can't only... public school anymore, hey? No, but they only know about two genders. So I'm not sure, you know, we're <laughs> supposed to teach them more. I don't know. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually had my son come to me uh, three, four weeks ago. He was complaining because he was watching a YouTube video and there was this uh, different type of person on there. And he came over and said, why Why are they trying to tell me this? I'm like, tell you what? Um, that, there's, that boys can be girls. I'm like, good question, son. <laughs> what do you think about that? And he's like, it's just silly. Like, that's not right. Boys are boys. I'm like, love you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Why can't kids just so, be kids anymore? Which I, I don't understand that. Why can't kids just play with toys and learn and read books and cartoons and all that sort of stuff and be children and without being indoctrinated from a young age? It, I, it blows my mind how anybody is okay with that. Kids shouldn't know what sexuality is until they're like 13 or 14 when they start hitting puberty for crying out loud and they have questions. Yeah, and even then, the level of stuff that they're teaching them today is just obscene. It's uh, did you? Did you catch the, I think it was Swift Current, so Saskatchewan, your backyard. Yeah. Uh, did you catch what was happening there with the school books? Yeah. my my Well, what happened, did you hear in Swift Current actually with the straight pride flag was the scary one? Yeah. They had, yeah. Yeah, where those kids were pulled into the principal's office, a bunch of them with the uh, RCMP officer. Is that what you're yeah. referring to? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that happens. My, my daughter just graduated there last year. And my uh, my stepdaughter will be graduating there next year. So this is stuff that's, that's pretty front and center. I mean, for an RCMP officer to come into the school and basically say what you've done here, children, is uh, considered a hate crime, I would think right. that that officer needs to be reprimanded from a superior and, and held accountable for that. But it's a little too far past the point. Well, you need to get on that school board and get rid of that uh, principal. That principal who called the RCMP officer as well is complicit in that I, I uh, know problem. That. I know that principal too, and I would like to think different of him, but I don't. Uh, I don't know the reason on that. Well, maybe he doesn't actually believe in that, but he had to take action so he's not cancelled. Maybe, yeah. you know, the threat of cancelization is, is so high that even people go against their own better judgment. That, that could be happening. Well, they keep cancelling. So, you know, many, many people. I know they've done it with me a few times. So, hey, we're just building a bigger community of cancelled people. Jason Aldean, welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, yeah, you're not wrong on that one. And I'm proud to be in that club. Yeah, uh, it's, it's my type of people. Yeah. There's a lot of intelligence, there's a lot of faith, and there's a lot of reasoning. Pretty sure we're on the right side on this one. We are, absolutely we are. Yeah, and I do think the indoctrination might be a great distraction. I don't really think these people believe that, but they're doing that to dilute the fighting against anything else, like the government, WEF, and other things, the agenda. Yeah. Uh, there's some major, major problems coming down the, the pipe here. For example, water. Have you heard about that one? They're going after water now. No, I haven't heard that. I've been gone for, this will be the second week now, I'm camping here with limited social media 
and uh, I have, haven't really posted much on my social media premises for quite some time here. So people keep messaging me. I checked the other day and there's a whole bunch of messages and they're saying, Chris, are you okay? Like, I'm mm. fine. Just taking a break. My wife a little bit of spare time. <laughs> yeah, they're not seeing you online. Nobody's trolling out there. And yeah. so they're wondering what happened. <laughs> yeah, and, and like you mentioned before the show, you're a bit of a um, lightning rod for a whole bunch of people. They're, they're coming after you and leaving the rest alone. And I understand yeah. what that's like. I get that a lot. I don't like innocent people having their, their uh, you know, when people are focused their negative attention on people that can't fight back. I think that kind of bothers me a little bit. So uh, I, I'm a little bit of an internet troll. I have been for years. Whether you want to consider that a bad thing or a good thing, I consider it a good thing. I go after the people that need going after. So I've uh, stuck my lightning rod up there and uh, and give the, the, the meatheads on the other side of the spectrum here a little bit of a, attention. So they deserve because they, obviously they're not going away right now and they're focusing everything they can on people to can't fight back. So I'm here. Have at me. So that's what we've done. And they forgot that's about the people that they were focused on. So yay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was, it was, you don't <laughs> like internet bullies. So you're going to go out there and deal with them yourself. Yeah. And, a lot of and it's, yeah, and it's, tr it's quite the full-time job staying on top of correcting information, the mis, dis, and malinformation out there. It's like a full-time job to try and get that out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of rewind a little bit and learn about you. Um, let's start in like your mid-teens before you became trucker and started your business. Uh, did you always plan to be getting into trucking or did you have a family that was into it or did you just like it and got into it? Like, how did you get into trucking? Interesting story on that, actually. Uh, my uncle drove truck through uh me growing up i would see the trucks come and go to the yard he did it kind of periodically from time to time but uh my parents had hired an excavating crew to come in and remove a whole bunch of trees into the yard so we had tracos come in and, and payloaders and dump trucks and and this one i don't even know who it was i i don't know but he let me ride in the passenger seat of this old 1970s r model mac dump truck and i got to ride there for the day and ever since that moment, I was hooked on trucks. I couldn't, uh, I remember that clearly. I burnt my hand because I, I crawled up into the truck and I put my hand on the on the muffler. And I burnt the palm of my hand and that hurt like hell. Um, but I sucked it up and I sat in that passenger seat and I rode with that driver for the day. And from that point forward, I was just, yeah. When I was 18, I, I, I don't have a grade 12 graduation. I dropped out of high school so I could go get my 1A. And I did that with my father. He, uh, him and I, Went to Yorkton Driving School in 1992, I believe it was. Um, a week in between Christmas and New Year's. It was a four-day course back then. Now it's like a 30-day course and like $10,000. Mine back 30 mm. years ago was, was uh, $950 for a four-day course. And then you couldn't get a job anywhere driving because you didn't have any experience. So trying to get that experience and work my way up through the, the mill. I had farm experience driving truck for dad all those years hauling grain, but that didn't matter when it came to highway experience. So mm -hmm. I started driving gravel truck is what I did for the same company that cleaned those trees out of my yard, you know, however many years earlier, I started hauling gravel for them until I had a couple years of experience. And, and that was a bonus back in those days, trucking was trucking, you know, you couldn't just get your license and jump in an over the road vehicle and take off like they do nowadays. That's I think the, a lot of accidents happen now because of that lack of experience. And for the first year years of my driving career, I spent on back roads, learning the hard way and the, on the gravel dirt, spinning out on hills and mud and you name it. And, and it taught me how to be a better driver. I'm, I think so. So you learned pretty quickly that you like driving and not to where, and where not to put your hand. So right. You two lessons pretty quickly there. <laughs> Absolutely. 
That's going to be hot. You learned that one fast, too. Yeah. I don't think you did it a second time, right? <laughs> nope, never do. Yeah. So good lessons for you there. So that's pretty cool. So you were doing the back roads, learning how to do it, getting into some rough driving and, and learning how to handle that. So when you took the highway, it was a piece of cake for you. was, yeah. It made it a lot easier. Definitely intimidating. I, the first few years of, of my driving, once I did get on the highway driving, was spent doing uh, runs between Saskatchewan and Alberta, um, shuttling the U.S. load. So I worked for a fleet, a company that brought loads into the U.S., and they would switch in, in my hometown, and then I would run them up to Alberta, unload, reload them with lumber, bring them back home, and then that driver would then carry on down to the States. So when I was 21, that's the time when a driver can, when you can drive a commercial vehicle in the U.S., that was okay. uh, pretty much a birthday present for me, was uh, driving across that border for the first time. So I had a couple old-timers that took me under their wing, um, one of the old boys actually that, that taught me how to drive just passed away last week, unfortunately from uh, old age, but, uh, showed up old Mr. Stan Molnix. That guy was, uh, was a pioneer in teaching me the things that I needed to learn back in the day, as well as Delbert Zacharias. He passed away a few years ago too. So two old time truckers that, that took me under their wing and taught me what they needed to know on the highway and, did, and kind of gave me the tools that I needed today. Well, that's beautiful to hear. So he passed away natural causes, which is a good thing. Um, not a good thing they passed away, but natural causes, not vaccine or something else. Well, we don't, yeah. Yeah, I think both were cancer. One was a heart attack and one was a cancer here a couple weeks ago. But Stan, Stan lived a good life. He uh, smoked quite a few packs of cigarettes in his life. So in the end, it was lung cancer that got him, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, he, he lived a, a very full life and had a lot of miles under his belt, that guy. All right, cool. So at 21, you got the green light to cross into the States, start traveling there, start shipping there. So let's tell, tell me about your first load then. So you're 21, you cross the border. It's the best day ever. You're in the States and you're from Saskatchewan. So you're crossing into Dakotas? You, yeah, you crossing the port, portal North Dakota would have crossed. That was a long time ago, geez. So I believe one of my first trips would have been down to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then for the first few years, I did a lot of Houston, Texas, Wichita Falls, Texas, and there was also one other place, Mineral Wells, uh, Texas. We used to haul fiberglass pipe and lumber down and sucker rods, like oil field sucker rods back for pumping. And then your fiberglass piping for your water lines underground in the oil field. So everything I did was all was long haul, two, 3,000 kilometers one way. Down and back, you, you could, and back in those days, it was paper logbooks, so you could send it. And you learned how to drive back in those days. Now we're all electronic logbooks, so everything's all to the meter and to the minute. Mm-hmm. So learning how to drive, is that code for what? Being able to drive longer than you should or what's yeah, the code? Something that I couldn't do now, let's say, after 30 right. years of being out here. <laughs> well, look, you're alive and you didn't kill anybody. So right? who says who says we got it right now? Yeah. I'm 30 some years out here without a without an accident. So a few little fender benders here and there with deer, but uh yeah, 30 years of the clean driving records. So yeah, deer can be messy, that's for sure. Um, and you do the higher roads, like I have a moose bumper at any times because you know that 17 across Ontario, or is it the 11? It can get messy up there. Last time I went to Ontario, it didn't work out so well for criminal charges in the end, so I try to avoid Ontario. Ontario, yeah, yeah, yeah. We left there a couple of years ago as well. We were just east of Ottawa, uh, we left before the convoy happened. Um, oh, really? But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was over by Alexandria, which is near Cornwall, between Ottawa and Cornwall. Gotcha. Uh, that's where I was living before. Yeah. Nice. It's good to have you over the yeah, last yeah. 
Yeah, I had to come back. Yeah, no, things were getting wonky around COVID. Uh, things were getting too expensive. Uh, employment was becoming difficult based on my ideology and my wrong think. Um, so yeah, no, I had to get out of there. It, it was, and it was also perfect when I left because when I left the road to Manitoba, wide open, but the road into Ontario blocked off. There was a checkpoint. So that, that basically set the mood for the rest of my life there. It's like, okay, we're leaving this locked down province and we're headed to the free side. Um, and that was a good way to do it. We waved goodbye to the OPP who were doing checkpoints on the border. And last time we saw those guys until <laughs> the POEC and, and other things, we started seeing the, the OPP again. You know, a lot of people forget, you know, the, the latest talk in the COVID world was interprovincial check stops setting up all the way across Canada. That was something that Marco Mendicino was planning on doing or implementing. And that that was one thing that went to the wayside as soon as the convoy started. A lot of people uh, seem to forget that. Yeah. And uh, Chris Deering doesn't forget that one because I oh. spoke to him and had him on. And uh, he has some lost brothers from his war, from his uh, vet days out in New Brunswick that he goes to see every single year because of the bubble of New Brunswick. They denied him. He wasn't able to go visit his lost brothers. And because of that, he's so jaded over it. He hasn't gone back. Um, so we've encouraged him to go ahead and go back this time because he was going back every year, but even things like that, you couldn't go to funerals. You couldn't go to the graveyards. You couldn't do anything civil like that. And, uh, yeah, I think that was part of the, uh, the Canadian mindset change that was happening there to just take it. I think we were being prepped to just take some of these things. Yep. Unfortunately for him, he, he did, but uh, he's going to go back. He's going to go start doing that again. I spent some time with Chris at the POEC hearings there, spent a little bit of time with him one-on-one. -on -one. He's such a soul. He's so he's good. An, he's an amazing, amazing hero, that guy. I commend him. He's, he's, you know, the damages he suffered in, I think it was Iraq with the IED there. It was Afghanistan, but yes, he, he hit an IED. Uh, three of his brothers uh, of arms were, were blown up and, and deceased. He, he was actually presumed dead because of what happened to him. He was like underneath part of the equipment. They thought he was dead. Uh, thankfully, no, he wasn't. But uh, it's, it's a little tragic here, Chris, now, because I, I do have him on my uh, Wednesday show sometimes, and the pain that he still suffers, it, yeah. it does get in the way. It, it is difficult. Yeah, you'll never get away from that, unfortunately, but He's definitely a hero. And, uh, yeah, well, V is, is an amazing woman. His wife is an amazing woman. And uh, they are moving up to their own off-grid place now. I think he's actually setting it up now. He finally made that move. But we're looking forward to hearing about their chickens and goats and stuff soon. Good. Peace and tranquility. Yeah. Some of those veterans <laughs> that we stood with in Ottawa there, man, I can't tell you. Um, that was one of the highlights, I think, of the year for me was was meeting up with you know, Veterans for Freedom right now is taking a big yeah. role, and and all those guys. I remember, you know, walking into the boardrooms in the morning in Ottawa there, and the room was full of vets, and you know, like Tom and Andrew, all those guys, Jeremy. There's so many good people that we we made acquaintances with. Did you meet uh, Alex Cabana? Would imagine I did. If he was there, I probably did. Names like I, if I seen a picture of him, I probably know him. Yeah, yeah, he's a really great vet. Um, Afghanistan as well. Uh, he has a podcast. Um, he does uh, Propaganda Patriot. Um, so, yeah, maybe you can get go on his uh, podcast when he comes back a little bit later this summer. Yeah. Excellent, excellent person. You will absolutely love him. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, well, so let's run, rewind a bit. So now you're 21, driving around the States. Not married yet, I assume? Nope, not married yet. No. 
Okay, so you're enjoying some life out there. Um, what was one of the biggest loads you remember when you were young? Like, did you have a big load that scared you, or nothing scared you at all, Chris? Oh, there's a there's a there's an oil plant in Joffrey, Alberta, that uh, we helped haul the material for. So we used to haul 75 foot long beams. This was a couple of years later when I was an independent owner operator and leased onto the company. But we used to bring 75 foot beams out of Meridian, Mississippi, all the way to Joffrey, Alberta, on a 48 foot trailer. So that was quite the feat. Uh, not, right. not necessarily wide, but definitely long. So you had a lot to lot to play with there. That was, you know, and now I, that's what I do for a living now is I haul big stuff, big agriculture stuff. So it's nothing for me to be, you know, I have a little bit of a rivalry with my son right now to see who can haul the bigger, wider stuff. And, you know, we're 20, 30 feet wide and air seeders is one of the biggest things that we do now. And mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah. So the big stuff doesn't scare me too much, but there's guys out there that haul bigger stuff. I know that. So. For sure. Is it kind of like fish stories when you talk to a trucker about their loads? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Like, oh, this it big. Is. It's, it's big. usually you miles, too. Yeah, I, I drove 1,200 miles in one day. Well, you can't get away with that anymore with electronic logbooks. But that was That is one of the trucker stories, the fisher stories. So. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. You're like, oh, mine was so big. So for that load, was it just hanging off the back with a flag, or did you have, like, wheels at the back as well? No, it was a beam, so it was just hanging off the back with a flag, so. To watch out those corners and, you know, start hitting oh, people as you're making lefts and rights. Yeah, you start taking people out on, on the side angles, definitely. So you have to be careful with that. That's been a few years now. That's been quite a few years since I've done that. That would have been probably mid-90s, I would imagine. So yeah, It was a good time. 90s were fun. Basically, were. everything went crazy <laughs> after that, didn't it? I had a Mac back in those days. The only truck I could afford back in the day was a Mac. So I had a CH600 Mac with a 460 E-Tech, they called it, engine in it. And I ran that truck for five years until it was giving me some issues. And then I placed an order for a brand new Kenworth, the one that I was oh, going to wow. buy. Yeah, and it was red. And uh, and uh, I took the order on it. Somebody else had actually ordered it. I took the ownership of it and said that I was going to trade this Mac off on this red Kenworth. And that was 20 years ago when I still own that truck. It's called Big Red. So that's kind of neat, man. Uh, yeah. So you still own it, but the Mac you got rid of. Yeah, Mac got traded on Red. So okay, got you. So you went from Mac to Red. Uh, <laughs> the Kenworth, you said, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, cool. So now you're driving around with a big red Kenworth. Um, so when does uh, the little lady get into the picture? Did you meet her a little bit later? What's going on? Uh, so my first wife, Jonathan and Sierra, are uh, married to a. I was married to a girl named Stephanie. She's a Swift Current girl. Um, married to her for uh, ten years, I believe. We had two beautiful children, and then uh, separated. I don't know how many years ago. Fifteen, fifteen or so years ago, and probably. Um, so yeah, two children with with Steph, and then I married my wife now, Rael, about ten years ago. She brought her two children in, so we have we're blessed with four children and a mixed marriage, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Now they're all growing up, Jason. It's it's wild. They uh, they didn't want to come camping with us anymore. They've all got friends and lives and everything they live. So now it's we're kind of empty nesting a little bit. They still come home looking for you know money or a place to stay here. And sure, there, but... they they always will. <laughs> <laughs> always will. Yeah. Yeah. So you said twenty three, twenty eighteen, and then what was the younger one? Sixteen. So the sixteen year old. Oh daughter. wow. So so you're dealing with the eighteen year old daughter. You have a sixteen year old. So they're getting into the dating and stuff. Are you are yes. you chasing any boys away? Or are you, you kind of no, like we've been pretty lucky. Picks? 
you know, any our, our boys are pretty good and well behaved. Our daughters, uh, any ones they've they've got steady boyfriends, so yeah, they've done really well. We uh, nothing that I've had to chase away yet, so I'm thankful. Mm -hmm. Well, I can imagine the meeting you for the first time. You're like, oh, <laughs> this guy knows how to do things. Uh, you can't get away with anything with this guy. I'm pretty sure you're a little intimidating. Well, I'm six six foot four tall, and I'm two hundred and sixty pounds. So that's usually one of the first things people say to me when they meet me in in public is, "Wow, you're a lot bigger than we we pictured you on social media." So, do, and do you know what I'm get? I get I, I get uh, you look older on your stream. Oh really? Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. They say because when they meet me in person, they're like, "Oh, you you look young." I'm like, "Well, I'm in my mid forties." Uh, they go, "Well, you look a lot older. You look like Red Green on the show." I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> All right. And my largest demographic is 55 to 65 female. Um, I have a large demographic there. Nice. Now it works for me because I'm trying to win an election. So I'm trying to reach out to the voters and show them who I am. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm definitely hitting the demographics that I'm looking for. Good. But yeah, that's, that's the first thing I was told when I met somebody off stream. They're like, you look older on the stream. I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks. Well, <laughs> yeah. It works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, 10 pounds or 10 years. You'll get one of those when you get on the stream. Um, but yeah, that's the case. So now you're married, you've got your second, you got your full family. Uh, when did you start your business business? Like you were driving your truck independent for a bit, but then you turned well, it into a business? It turned into a business in 2006. I, uh, I was working for, for a company as a lease operator, and that company became financially strapped, I guess. So uh, they become sent into the world of bankruptcy, and a lot of the customers within the Swift Current area that I'd worked with for how many years um, wanted me to kind of step up and take the place and, and start my business. So I had a sole proprietorship at that time under just Chris Barber Trucking, and uh, and then I, I ventured out and got my own authorities to run through the U.S. and Canada. It was a big deal. Mm -hmm. I did my first load to Illinois uh, with my step deck back in that day. And I found myself my first return trip back up to Atchison, Alberta. And I remember this because I parked in Atchison, Alberta's Husky truck stop. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, a guy turned in front of me and took the hood off the front of my truck. So about $18,000 damage to the front of red. And uh, I was on a bus on my way home. And I, you know, financially strapped and wondering where you're going to get your next pay. To this last company that I worked for still owed me quite a bit of money. And I was kind of really, really struggling. And you know, a young family at home. I had two young kids and uh, and a wife. And I came home to my father with his pickup and the camper was hooked up to it. And he, when I got off the bus there, he said, you are going camping with your family and you're not worrying about this. So I was able to go spend a, a week or whatever it was at that time with the kids and the wife and get away from trucking while Red was fixed under insurance. And yeah, so in, in my, my heyday, I've had as many as 10 trucks on with CB Trucking. We had a shop and mechanics and people in Swift Current. Um, I got sick. I don't remember how many years ago it was I got sick. I got myocarditis and wound up in the cardiac care unit a week before Christmas. I'm getting about 15, 14 years ago, 16 years ago, something like that. So that was my mm -hmm. health scare, stress. And uh, I decided to come home. So after that, I kind of shut operations down in, in the city of Swift Current and built the farm, built the shop on the farm, and put my office in the basement. And I've, for the last number of years, had a couple people that I worked with here and I just did my own cross-border. I specialize in agriculture, oversized equipment with removable gooseneck trailers, RGN trailers. 
And so I haul stuff out of the out of the factories, the case plants and the John Deere and the in the Agco plants in Kansas, North Dakota, Minnesota, and uh, Illinois, Nebraska also. And so that's been my forte for the last number of years. Um, and keeping busy. And I work with a select few people. I have uh, five trucks on the fleet right now at this point. So I've kind of gotten added a few more trucks to try and keep up with the demand of the freight the last number of years. Well, it's good that demand is growing for you. So agriculture equipment transport is still as strong as ever. Yes. Yeah, we're that's an industry that we're hopefully not going to be uh, hurting in for a while. We are in a drought right now and you've seen the effects of that. But we do just about every level of agriculture. We haul, we tow air seeders. We do, you know, hot shot headers, combine headers, light augers, you name it, all that sort of stuff. We're quite heavily involved as well as the factory freight and the used equipment. We'll take used equipment down to the States for our dealerships. That's kind of neat, man. Um, so now I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit and get us into the, your business is running. I think maybe you had 10 trucks at the time. You, you now have five or so. Uh, but at one point you had 10 trucks going, you were doing a lot of work and then COVID hit. So let's get to early 2020. Uh, COVID hit. We all get this news out of China, China, and uh, going through Italy, coming through uh, the UK, headed to Canada. Um, and I think the first case in Canada was actually in Cornwall, which is just down the road from me. Um, but you got this news, well, like we all did. Uh, what were you thinking at that time? Were you thinking, this is garbage? Or you're thinking, like most of us, uh, what the hell is this? Um, where were, was your mind in early 2020? It scared the shit out of us, didn't it? Like, it scared the shit out of all of us. And I think it was intended for that. Um, mm -hmm. I worked right through the pandemic. Um I never shut down. I was able to cross the border unvaccinated for the first, you know, number of years. We lost our use of public bathrooms. We lost our use of restaurants. And I don't think anybody quite, you know, the medical professionals went through their front of the line status and, and had their role in the pandemic and law enforcement did, the doctors did. You know, there was one thing as a truck driver standing in a drive-through lineup at McDonald's trying to get food when you've got vehicles in front of you or vehicles behind you was pretty humiliating. Um, that was something that kind right. of, it was horrible actually. And then not being able to use the bathroom at any facility you went to. So like the great outdoors, thank goodness the slides on the, on our double drop trailers or trailers pull out. So it was a makeshift toilet on the side of the parking lot there. Some of the stuff that we were degraded to, you know, Early on, I remember coming home after the first week or two into the pandemic, and I said to my wife, I'm like, I'm done with this. I can't do this. This is bull. You know, I had a, a coffee maker in the truck, and I had uh, um, a microwave in there for heating soups up, and it was ridiculous. And, then, and I think I lasted at home about a week before the demand for customers was too great, and I had to jump back in the truck and go trucking again. But and one thing I'll mention, too, is when you cross that border into the United States... It was a different world, a completely different world. Restaurants were open. They had their social distancing, that sort of stuff, but it was a different world. And then the mandates kept coming, and they kept on top of another. And it was, is this crap going to stop? And I don't think it really was going to stop unless somebody decided to say stop, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, and now was it hurting your business? Okay. It's hurting the trucker. I, I get that. And, and this is the time that we were calling you guys heroes, calling you guys wonderful. But what we didn't hear is actually what you had to go through. 
And just to let people understand why you're walking through the McDonald's drive through is because you can't take your truck, you can't go <laughs> in the restaurant, and you need to eat. Yep. So you're physically walking through the drive through They served you that way? They would. Sometimes they would. Sometimes they wouldn't. Uh, you know, a good old Canadian spirit, a lot of times somebody would would order for you and then drop it off on the other side of the building. I see that a lot. Um, there was a lot of times the Canadian spirit came forward and uh, people showed just how generous and awesome they were to work with one another. And the, the COVID didn't really affect my business that much up until the border, the border mandates. That was a huge right. decision. What, what for me in the province of Saskatchewan, the, when the Saskatchewan party kind of lost my support was October of 2021 when they brought in the COVID vaccine uh, the passport that was when right. uh, i was done i was sorry scott mo but you let me down huge there and i was still unvaccinated at that time and fighting and it was you know just after christmas i think in 2021 going into 2022 was when i knew the mandates for the border crossing you had to be vaccinated across that international border that started january 15th and i knew that it took like two weeks before you were cleared from that so I waited right to the last minute, but man, I, when it comes to my business, I don't employ a lot of people and I, my customers are everything to me. So when these customers rely on me for getting that cross-border travel, their combines or sprayers or tractors, all that sort of stuff to them. And I have been fighting off those big carriers that want my work so badly nice. by beating them in customer service. I was going to lose that. And, uh, and then I lose my livelihood. So I took the jab. I got vaccinated. But the trouble was the amount of people that I knew that didn't get vaccinated, the amount of drivers that we lost because of that mandate was the part where now all of a sudden we've lost 30, 40% of the driving force crossing that border. Now I've got an extraordinary amount of pressure on me running back and forth to try and fulfill all these commitments to my customers where you know, I used to, we used to haul back and forth nonstop. I lost so many guys that retired, walked away from it, went just Canadian only. Then the government just totally threw that to the wayside. They didn't care about those people at all. All it was was about getting mm. that jab and moving forward. So. so you took it under duress because you had to, or you were okay with it? Oh, I didn't want it, but I took it. Um, same goes for my wife. She works in the school system, so they forced her to. Same goes for my daughter in high school. You know, she was being uh, she was being bullied into taking it, um, playing her musical instrument in a separate room from the rest of the music class because she wasn't vaccinated. Wow. Come on, Chris, that's horrible. That's horrible. And let me share a story with you from uh, Rick Abbott, who's uh, an ex. Uh, Edmonton police officer. I was speaking with him this morning. We had him on a, a little while ago. They had a sh shame room in the police station at Edmonton. That shame room was where the non-vaxxed officers would eat. They couldn't eat with uh, everybody else in the cafeteria. They named it the shame room. Those were the vaccinated ones that called it that. And uh, very few vaccinated officers would go eat with their colleagues there just to show support. But even at that level, with our law enforcement, adults, professionals, honorable profession, ideally, even they are doing silly games like that, where they're separating unvaxxed from vaxxed and actually labeling the unvaxxed as shameful. Yeah. So I'm sorry your daughter went through that. But I also want to let you know that didn't stop at the high school level. That went basically in every profession across this country. Yeah. You know, the sad part is, is government has always been finding some way to divide us as a country. You know, the East versus the West. It's always been that 
you know, that Eastern Canada versus Western Canada. And then they'd, they'd separate us on our genders and our skin color and whatever may they can, right? And then they found a way mm -hmm. to separate us in our own homes for crying out loud. Like, yeah. there's people out there for family members that still won't have a conversation with somebody because they didn't take a jab. Like, come on. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. 100%. And now they're separating us on the vaccine injury and the child indoctrination. Some are for, some are against. Uh, people who don't have children seem to be for it. People who have children are not for it. Um, yeah, they're hitting us left and right. They're hitting us on everything. Um, mm -hmm. Quebec versus Alberta, even. <sighs> the amounts of divisions that we've been watching, Chris, has been uh, getting getting more and more each year. Um, and people still and what, don't see it. That's the, that's the horrible part is people don't see what the government's trying to do to us. Yeah, and the next one's going to be those against digital currency, those for those against digital uh, IDs, those four, you, if you want to do, like, for example, the um, dental system, the dental health care that they brought into place, they put that on a federal level. So if you want to get the dental care as somebody who doesn't have a lot of money, someone who's poverty, if you want to get the dental care, you need a federal ID. So there's the beginning of the uh, federal digital ID in order to gain access to services. And you're going to see that roll out all over the place. You know what will happen when we all stand up and say no, right? It goes away. Or does it? Mm, it's tough. Like, we even have Danielle Smith saying it's inevitable to get digital currency now. Like, she's not even throwing up a fight on that one. Uh, she's conceding for 2050 for uh, a zero um, net neutral uh, yeah. Yeah, emissions instead of fighting it all the way to the fact that we don't need it. Um, and then we also have her claiming that she congratulates uh, Kenny on his uh, ESG score program. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. Like, what, you know what you just said there. Be, hey? <laughs> like it's he was scary. So, he was so promising when he started, right? And then just, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Because when we moved here, we were pleased. It was like 2019 when we came here, even though it was 2022 or 2021. It was like 2019 here. No masks. People were in the park. Didn't seem yep. to matter. But then just a few months later, after standing up and saying, we'll never do it here, something happened and he switched. It was, and I remember that too, because it seemed like it was a plane ride from the East from Mr. You know, the guy that we don't like, you know, personally. <laughs> and then it, as soon as he left, it was like both Saskatchewan and Alberta bowed to the federal. And it, and it was kind of, I was say it's not funny, but it, it was humorous on how they both kind of gave in. And now, you know, like even Scott, I like what he's done with the province. Don't get me wrong, I'm a Saskatchewan party. Brad Wall was one of the best premiers in this country. And uh, I wish Scott would fill those shoes a little bit better because he seriously hurt my, my support when he did the stuff that he did in, in the middle of COVID. Yeah, no, it's insane. It's insane. Um, and then some people were saying it wasn't the, the convoy that made Ford, for example, remove his uh, mandates or, or restrictions or Alberta. Yeah, it did, and we'll get there. Um, all right, so now you're, you're having an issue with cross-border. You have some people early retiring. You have some people that Canada only. So you're having difficulties maintaining your customer service to the people in the south. You're worried about the big, bigger operators taking those, that business from you. And then you get a phone call or something about Convoy. How did that start to work out? Like, I'm sure there's frustration in your part of do something. Uh, but how did the the rumor and and the initial parts of a convoy come to you? Yeah, well, I've always been fairly active on social media within you know the province of Saskatchewan and my truck, and everybody knows who I was, I guess, hauling the equipment that I've hauled. And then, uh, yeah, you're kind of sitting around, you're going, "Okay, like, when is somebody going to do something?" I'm not a political 
protester. I'm not an activist. I'm just a, a blue collar worker. I don't, uh, you know, I, I've never been in this position like that in my life. So you're kind of sitting there waiting, like somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to mm -hmm. stand up. And then that somebody reached out to me on social media and, uh, and it kind of went from there. And then, uh, and we just, it kind of grew and it was grassroots and, and, uh, everything fell into place as if it was meant to, right. Um, remember the early part of January, Miss Leach reached out to me, Tamara, and, uh, she got involved with that and, and every piece of the puzzle just kind of fall, fell into place, whether it was, you know, your road captain started stepping up. I had some good friends in Manitoba that stepped up and I met some new people in Saskatchewan, um, Alberta, kind of BC, everybody kind of came together and, and the East kind of looked after their side and the West kind of looked after their side and it all just kind of met in the middle, I guess. So yeah, it was all gra organic, all grassroots. And did it feel uh, divine yeah. at all? Pardon me? Did it feel divine at all? Did it feel it like did. maybe you just following a path? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And, uh, that was all, yeah, there, there's, when you throw that many vehicles in a long row together and, and we had sometimes up to 50 kilometers of, of traffic there in a convoy and not an accident or an, you know, any, any sort of, uh, altercation with any vehicles out there that that's dividing for sure. Absolutely. Like not even really a fender bender. Nobody ran up the road. Nobody got ran over. I'm sure there was a couple small or close calls, that sort of thing. I think we had one in Manitoba where it was this little bit scary close call, but um, kept kept her all going. That's for sure. So. Hey, so early you were getting chatter on, on um, social media. It kind of starts to materialize and you start hearing stuff from Tamara, some others from the West, BC, stuff like that. Tell me about the day that you actually jumped into big. Did you take Big Red to Ottawa? I yeah, I did. Um, okay. So Tamara actually lives in Medicine Hat, Red Cliff area. So our plan was to convoy from the Swift Current area with as many people as we could meet at the co-op on that cold Monday morning. I believe it was the 23rd, 24th, somewhere in there. And uh, you're just nervous, right? Because here you got the truck all kind of spit shined up and the flags are on and the signs and... You know, is anybody going to show up? Is there going to be anybody there? Or are we going to be by ourselves driving down the highway? Pulled into the co-op parking lot in Swift Carrington. Holy crap, the parking lot was full. And uh, and we went to Medicine Hat to pick up Tamara, to meet the convoy from the west, I guess, and to pick up Tamara. Tamara was um, in the pilot truck with her father and her mother. A lot of people don't know that, but Stan and Bonnie McBurney were the ones that actually led the pilot, led the convoy in their pilot truck. And they had Freedom Convoy on the on the pilot kit instead of oversized load. They're professional piloters around the provinces right now. And uh, so Tamara had a little spot in the back seat where she was going to be riding. And, and I had my son with me, Jonathan, and my little dog, Zippy. And uh, so she jumped in the truck for a little bit of a live there for a little while. And people liked it. People wanted to see that. We left Medicine Hat and the police had traffic control at every intersection. And, and there was people lining the highway throughout the city of Redcliffe. And I went, holy crap, this is amazing, you know. And so that was the uh, first time you saw supporters on the road? Yeah, yeah, a lot of supporters. And then it just continued to grow from there through the prairies in the middle of nowhere. This is the dead of winter. People would freeze. Your skin would freeze in a matter of 10 minutes outside. And here there are people standing out there with their children. It was absolutely amazing. The one thing I regret was not having like a GoPro camera on the mirror so we could capture what we've seen because I don't, we'll never recreate that. 
Well, you don't know about that. We won't talk about that, but uh, that was certainly a spontaneous <laughs> grassroots uh, organization and, and, and it was a coast to coast thing. Now, I remember when it first started, like it was making its way through Manitoba and stuff. It did seem like people were all for it. Even the media wasn't covering it much, but they weren't really against it. Like CBC yep. said there's a convoy in BC of 10 trucks over potholes. So when you search for convoy, that's what you got pushed to. But uh, there was a lot more going on than that little thing in BC. Um, but I did feel a lot of pride. And I did feel, even on alternate media and stuff like that, that people were excited about this. Um, and at that time, being in it, I'm sure you could feel the energy all the way across. Well, I'm a, like I said before, I'm six and a half feet tall, 260 pounds. I'm a big guy. And uh, I, I cried a lot. Uh, there's no mm. way you could cry a lot when you see the signage and the people standing on the side of the road, even when you stopped, people were throwing food in the trucks and, and there was just like this sense of people coming together again. And, and everybody had some sort of a, a meaning or a, a venue for trying to, to get back to normal, like hot chocolates and coffees and hugs and tears. And Tamara has a story where, you know, she's had however many 10,000 Canadian tears on her, on the side of her chest and yeah, we all felt mm. that there's so many people that just want to tell their story and that's the amazing part uh, 11 o'clock at night when we were late with the convoy and people are still standing in the ditch at minus 30 and you know in the prairies and it's cold you know you, you, it's ottawa's colder for for moisture in the air but the prairies are damn cold yeah Especially Manitoba. Boy, it's windy there. You get off the lake uh, Winnipeg and it comes down. It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Now you're traveling through Manitoba and you come up to Ottawa, or Ontario. Uh, the OPP meets you there, right? They kind of meet you yeah. there at the border? Yeah, and, I, and anybody that doesn't know this, but we had complete traffic control with every law enforcement all the way across the prairies when I picked up, uh, when we picked up Tamara and Medicine Hat. The Medicine Hat Police worked with us. One of the ones that surprised me was like Swift Current, our hometown. We stopped there and I'd asked for traffic control at one of the traffic lights. And it was like, no, you're on your own. Make sure you follow all the rules. So mm -hmm. we didn't have support from our local RCMP, but Regina City Police, Moose Jaw City Police, all the way across the prairies. Winnipeg was unbelievable. The story with Winnipeg when we came in there was the Hutterite Colony was supposed to... Uh, to feed us in the, the headingly at the flying J truck stop. They were all set up there ready to feed us. And with us working with law enforcement, like we did, the RCMP made the call to, to, to not stop. They said, there's too many people in the town of headingly. You guys cannot stop at the flying J. There'll be safety issues there. There's too many people around there. And so we adhered, we listened to the, whatever they told us to do, we did. And so we bypassed the Flying J, and that's when the Hutterites drove all the way to Kenora, Ontario, where we stopped for that night to make sure that we had Bring a food. Yeah. You know, that was an amazing story. And uh, at that border, uh, we met OPP. That was when the RCMP kind of backed off, and that's where OPP picked up. And at any given time across through Thunder Bay, we had different law enforcement. Marty was his name from the Kenora region. Picked us up at the scale, at Westhawk scale there. Man, I think he fall, he led us probably, I want to say Thunder Bay, if not Sault Ste. Marie. I think he was having as good a time as the rest of us were, you know, in this big movement. And and we had, you know, there was three different, four different cruisers that were with us the entire time for safety purposes, making sure everything was right. So, mm -hmm. and, and please tell me those Mennonites brought the Manitoba Mennonite farmer sausage to you. 
<laughs> there was sausage. There was hamburger. There was soup. You, there was so no, much. The food. sausage is important here, Chris. The sausage. Oh. Like I lived in Manitoba. That's all I grew up on was a Manitoba Mennonite sausage. Then when I went to the east, it's impossible to find. It's not out there. So I've had to order it from Manitoba just to get the right stuff. So please tell me you had some. I had some. I would imagine I had some. I remember it being so cold right. that you, your fingers were freezing trying to hang on to whatever you caught from. It was just, it was nasty cold. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm actually very pleased for you. The whole thing's a victory now that you had the sausage. I'm very pleased about that. <laughs> so now you guys are in corn, uh, Kenora, fully fed, full of sausage, and then you guys continue to eat yeast. Um, and at this time, not only you got police support, nobody's trying to resist you at this time. Nobody's trying to stop you and convince you guys to stop at all. In fact, they're just kind of Mosesing it for you. They're opening the way so you can go ahead. At that time, did you think you had government support? That you had maybe support? No. Or... No, Justin Trudeau already started his rhetoric against us at that time. He was already out there doing news medias. And uh, did he run to BC with COVID the first time before? I don't remember if, when he ran away like a little a girl. I think that was on our way out there, wasn't it? He, he had COVID all of a sudden, but had to fly out to BC. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so he had already started propaganda against us and then started using the media against us and trying to portray us in a bad light. And by the way, that story changed. So originally he had COVID and then it changed to his one of his kids had COVID. Oh. Uh, so, even that, so even that story changed uh, over time. Well, here's a story for you that not a lot of people know. I was sick with COVID, the Omicron virus, going into Ottawa. I was sick with it in the truck and I'm vaccinated. I made Tamara sick. Although my 18-year-old son, who is fully unvaccinated, Jonathan, uh, didn't even as much to get a sniffle. So he was... That's until, his immunity was intact. That's say, yeah. yeah, that boy, uh, and he refused to get vaccinated. And I stand 100% behind him, so... Yeah, absolutely. Now, other than catching Omicron and getting sick by it, have you had any other effects uh, from the vaccine? We'll just kind of sidestep this one. But oh, I, had... I get a shake in my left arm at sometimes. Um, it depends on, I don't know what triggers it or what, but I'll get a shake. A very Sometimes it's a moderate shake, sometimes it'll be a little harder, but I do have that. My father was was one of the ones that, that kind of used to argue with me on, Chris, you just need to get the shot and just sort of fly our way through this, right? And my father's a good mm -hmm. farm boy. And he got his second shot and his gallbladder quit working. So I watched my 70-year-old father kind of wither away fairly quickly until they figured out what the problem was. And, and he got his gallbladder taken out and medicated. And uh, at the 70 years old, you don't gain the weight back that you lose. So No, it's hard. Yeah. So he's still hanging in there. He's active as can be. And him and mom are retired and enjoying their lives. But it definitely did take a lot out of him. Now, you mentioned you had myocarditis. 15 years ago, so it's not COVID-related. Um, so you were in your 30s when you had that? I was, early 30s, yeah. Yeah, I did the math, yeah, like, oh, wow. Um, now, has anything come up around that at all? Nothing. Like, are you still no. checking your ticker, everything's fine? Well, I haven't really checked in a long time, but I, uh, no, I, I think I'm finally fine. I'm fairly active in the day. I haven't had anything really, really wrong with the chest here for the last long time. So, I mean, it's, once you've got myocarditis once, you're susceptible to it again, so... Mm -hmm. I watch that I close. I should probably book a doctor's appointment. It's not like there's any stress in my life here the last few years. <laughs> no, especially September coming up here. Right? Yeah. Well, when you see tomorrow again in person, like, bump, 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 bump. yeah, so right. Before then. <laughs> Make sure there's legal counsel present. I asked, I asked the lawyers out the other day, I said, why, when we get to court, why do these conditions have to still continue? For crying out loud, I'll be able to sit, you know, 
five feet away from her in a courtroom, but I still can't have a conversation with her. This is horrible, but I don't know. Once the verdict is read, maybe, then then it goes away. Yeah, well, that verdict should come back innocent, right? Um, what are the charges you're facing? So mischief, uh, conspiracy, or consulting? So what are you? Seven indictable offenses. So two of those. Indictable? Indictable, yes. Oh, yeah, they've taken summary. Mischief. Mischief is mischief's one of the charges uh, going against a court order is two charges on that. And then I've got a uh, intimidation of a peace officer in there with each count being a, um, a counseling charge as well. So seven in total. Tamara has got the same charges, only six. She doesn't have the second going against the court order like I do, but she does have a breach charge oh. that she has to defend after trial. So... Yeah, they're seeking two to ten years in federal prison for Tamara and I. And that's just for having conversations with people, keeping it peaceful, and making sure that you guys didn't contribute to any violence. Am well, I right that right? All the evidence so far from what I've seen is all uh, is all uh, social media. So, ladies and gentlemen out there, be really careful what you're posting on social media because the government could use that against you at any given time. So. And when the government changes, maybe these people that were saying stuff as well, uh, maybe they're beginning... Uh, some knocks on the door as well. We get some really ugly stuff out there where they're calling for like our death and stuff, and that's not addressed because it's their side right now. Yeah, do you think cool. when do you think when we switch that uh, that will switch as well? I doubt it. To be honest with you, I doubt it. I don't. I think government's got some issues. Whether it's the top down to the bottom, I don't really know if it matters what party's in power now. I just think that it's all there's a level of corruption in this country that is unprecedented. And I don't think the average Canadian is actually paying enough attention to it to see just how many freedoms and, 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 and rights they've taken from us. No, it's horrible. And if you actually sat down and looked at it, you, you'll be shocked and disappointed. Mm -hmm. And if you spend a lot of time looking at the legal side of things, you're going to be very sad to understand that our charter isn't what you think it is. It no. does not carry the weight that you would expect it to. Um, because they have the pause button, of course, uh, section one on that one. So, and we just got a, a decision out here in Alberta, the Ingram decision, which kind of highlighted exactly how little power the charter has. You familiar with that decision that came out this week? I've seen that. Chris, that affected Chris Scott's case quite a bit too, right? I'm not sure if, about Chris Scott's case or not, but I think it might help. I, I think I heard that, but I'm not yeah. sure if it did or didn't. You know, and then one of the friends that I've made throughout this whole thing is the Honorable Brian Peckford, too. I mean, Brian mm -hmm. is an amazing man. This was his baby, the Charter. He stood with us in Ottawa, you know, knowing what we were trying to defend there, and, and that was his. That was his. So he's an amazing guy. I have actually, his wife Carol is such a, an awesome human being. Yeah, I'm one email away from having him on the show. So, oh, really? Um, nice. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we just have to find the time, but I'm one email away. Uh, I've been asked to give him some examples of uh, good interviews. Yep. So I'll give him this one, and I won't tell him it's an example <laughs> of good lighting. Uh, well. <laughs> but he, he, buddy, I'll give him this one. I may give him uh, Theo Fleury and possibly uh, Reddy Hilliard or something like that. Uh, sure. So we can review those. But yeah, I'll have him on. And tomorrow as well. Tomorrow we're working on tomorrow as well. Um, we got to massage one issue. Ezra doesn't like me. Uh, so we've got a, a massage oh. one issue. Oh, no. Well, that makes two of us. I heard he doesn't like me either. So hopefully we get that. Yeah. Right? He's got that right. He's maintained that right. And he executes that right vigorously. <laughs> so we'll Everybody's entitled to an opinion, right? Uh, it's too bad that there's so much division within this movement the last while. I don't like that. 
it is what it is. I think we're going through a flushing out stage, kind of cleaning out some of the uh, misinformation and possibly uh, unmotivated or unaligned motivations, maybe. Maybe we're going through a cleansing stage. My experience in this movement is there's a lot of people that were involved with the wrong intentions or at least had a motive that weren't brought you know, to the forefront right off the bat. And as time kind of lapses, when everybody's working their way through the trial, they're getting kind of really itchy to find their, I guess, peace in it. And uh, yeah, it's coming out wrong. Well, see, that's what happens with grassroots, though. It's not a coordinated effort. You're not indoctrinating your employees. You're not putting them through training so they just follow you. Like, this is what will happen when you get average Canadians together. Like, if you ever try to get a hockey game on the rink going, there are going to be fights. <laughs> Absolutely, yep. Yeah, yeah. But I was quite impressed how little violence there was because of the amount of people. You, you know, even just personalities usually spark some things. But when we get into Ottawa, because now you have Omicron, you're making your way there and you're coming in, you got tomorrow sick, you got yourself sick, but your son is okay. Now you're feeling welcomed by the city at this point. Maybe not by Justin himself, because he's gone dealing with his sniffles. Um, but did you feel welcome? They kind of led you to where you needed to be, they, and, and they did. Yeah, they uh, we we followed the escort right downtown, right onto Wellington, and and then that's kind of where I pulled the brakes on Big Red was right in front of, uh, um, right in front of the Supreme Court is where she sat for the first week. Um, it was we were led right there. So my understanding going in there, and I said this in the POEC too, was that. Uh, we had staging areas. I was kind of led to believe that we had a staging area in the Confederation Park, and the other one was mm -hmm. uh, uh, there was another park there, but I can't remember what the other one was called. So I kind of thinking, you know, we had a staging area, we had portable bathrooms, we had everything we all needed when we got there, and then we got there and we didn't. So interesting. Uh, that led to kind of the backup. And there was a bunch of people that came in the day before and kind of flooded Wellington and Rideau Sussex and. So, you know, a lot of the people that were behind me right from the West, they didn't get onto Wellington. They were stuck out on the parkway. Um, and then that led to basically everybody kind of flooding into the city, looking to be part of the, part of the, part of the, of the, the protest, right? So is that why it spread out into the residential areas? Cause you actually yeah. had plans for staging and not the residential streets. Yeah, they had no, uh, maybe poor planning on the part of the city there, knowing that that amount of people were coming and they had nothing set up for us, I guess. So, uh, Or proper planning, depending on your perspective. Proper, yes, proper planning. And it wasn't like we weren't in constant communication with law enforcement the other time to, to let them know what was going on. Right, so now the first weekend, the city basically let it go. Uh, we heard testimony at POEC. They thought it was only going to last for a couple of days, even though $10 million have been raised by this point. Um, right, right, because as you're coming in, the first $10 million was raised. When was that first shut down? Was this, are you still driving? or Because that was GoFundMe first. No, I think we were there. I'm trying to remember my head putting dates together. We were there. We were given the $1 million from GoFundMe. Uh, and immediately after we were given that, I think it was in the bank account for like a day or two, it was immediately frozen and the, then the platform was shut down and canceled. Um, yes. And then, uh, and then Gibson goes and started after that. So I didn't get involved with the money side of things, to be quite honest with you. It was never mm -hmm. the money for me. And if you have a conversation with Tamara, she's probably the one to tell you that it was me that actually said that I didn't, we didn't want a funding prop platform because I was going there on my own dime. I wasn't 
you know, wanting anybody else to cover that, but, uh, but there was others out there that, that needed that. So in the end, you know, like we, we managed to make that all work and, and, uh, all that funds were frozen anyway, but, uh, I've yet after all this time to have one truck driver, actual truck driver come up to me and said, Hey, you know, sucks about the funding. We all went there with the purpose of doing it for our own personal gain, like right. something that happened with us personally. So, right. So, so we can put to bed the government's narrative that that was to fund the overthrow of the government. Yeah, right. From <laughs> external fe- foreign sources, yeah. probably all Russian money. Like we can put that to bed now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite the quite. They the didn't slow. even get it. No, they just tried so hard to use any narrative they could. What are we going to do? Try and use flags, Canadian flags, to try and. Come on, like that yeah, was the thing. We all got there, and there was more hugs than there was anything, or tears cried, and yeah. <laughs> so, when exactly did you pull out your Nazi flag? <laughs> well, if I were the first day, second day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that you know what the scary part is is I'd like to know what member of the government of Canada actually owns a Nazi flag, the one that they walked around Parliament Hill with, trying to portray it as one of ours. Because, you know, damn well it wasn't one of ours. It came no. out as one of the buildings there. So what member of Parliament, what member of government in Ottawa owns a Nazi flag? I want that question answered. Somebody has to have one sitting in a, in a closet somewhere, because it was definitely there. It was only there for a brief minute for photo ops and then disappeared again. So, Well, I'm going to put one person on that list. I'm not sure of her name, but she might be an enthusiast of that organization. Uh, the one who uh, related Hong Kong to HH to mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Anita, Anita Mon, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I might I might want to check her desk. She, she seems to like that guy and wants She's to talk a, to him. She is a quite the quite the horrible person. I can't believe that she gets a, a federal paycheck for some of the rhetoric she uses. That standing in the House of Commons and preaching that whole, uh, you know, uh, an acronym for Hong Kong is Hail Hitler. Come on, like this is our leaders. These are the people that are elected to run our country. That's an embarrassment. Right, but the silver lining there is, boy, did it expose them. That yes. kind of statement, when you clip that and share it with the world, there's nobody in the world, even you know, the descendants of Hitler, who will go, what? What are you talking about? Yes. Um, so I think that actually backfired quite a bit. It may have worked in the House for their support for local stuff, like for the party, yeah. but I don't think that was a good, good thing to come out for them. I, I think that really started to expose them for who they yeah. are. I have a clip of that saved on my phone, and I do play it every now and then in Twitter. It's your ringtone, isn't it? Let's admit it. It's your ringtone. I'll kind of comment back on her when I see her chirping online, so I like to do that. Well, when she, you know, when God decides to bring her home or send her somewhere else uh, at that point, uh, maybe that will be on her stone. (laughs) HH means. (laughs) We'll we'll give her that privilege, and then somebody will tear down her statue later. That that's going to be the so yeah we'll put it up just for the sake of taking it down right (laughs) i can handle that can can you yeah yeah and then we're all in jail for 50 years but it will be worth it i think exactly (laughs) okay all right so now big red is uh sitting there you're you kind of got support you're going through the first weekend it's a bit of a party the city isn't really doing much um but now you're into monday and this is kind of where they were expecting you to leave i don't know where they got their information from but the city said they were thinking it was just a weekend thing. You guys knew it was until we talk thing. Is that correct? Well, that was always the intention, right? Was to have a conversation with your government on some of the, you know, when you've got that much support of Canadians behind you wanting change. And that was one of the biggest things that we heard all the way across from the West was, you know, make sure they listen to you. Make sure at least you have that conversation. Don't leave until 
something is done. I mean, like for crying out loud, there was people committing suicide. Mental illness was at an all-time high. Drug mm -hmm. addiction, alcohol addiction, and uh, people were killing themselves because of government mandates. How is that not an important subject to try and discuss with your with your leaders? They just threw that to the wind like it didn't even matter, and they just like they did with I us. Think, I think you answered your own question. Yeah, it didn't matter to them. They don't care. They don't. No, no. Well, they brought maids in, right? And they left the uh, liquor stores and marijuana stores open. Well, they yep. closed everything else, like gyms and, and and places where people can go release energy and be more healthy. So they closed all the healthy stuff, left all the unhealthy stuff. You're creating the situation, 100%. 100%, yep, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, in my mind, and just hear me out on this one, had he sat down at a table, heard you guys out, and then in a calm, somber type of way, explain to you with information, doesn't have to get into the nitty-gritties with all the charts, but can certainly provide you with source information to support his decision, would you have accepted a thanks for showing up, but we're going to maintain this? Oh, I would imagine uh, any level of conversation would have resulted in something positive instead of, you know, just uttering threats and name calling like what he did right mm -hmm. from the start. How do you expect to have a conversation with anybody after you belittle them like he did with the with the, the narrative or the mainstream media for as long as he did? And even if you didn't want to speak with some of us directly, I mean, there would have been other people to speak with. We had enough lawyers on hand there and enough people, political people on, on different sides. Like I had people, political powers in behind the scenes that were communicating with me saying, you know, we'd like to open a channel, but we can't. So it'd be nice, at least something. When that amount of people show up at your doorstep for a conversation... And then you slap them in the face with a you know name calling rhetoric and leave for your trip to Tofino. Right. It's not leadership with two hundred and fifty RCMP officers as well. Right. Yeah. He took a good chunk of them with him. He was scared, uh, very scared. We, yeah. We'd give him six feet. He has COVID. We give him some space. Don't worry. <laughs> I wonder if he's following in the grocery store. Really? Like that's a big one. <laughs> I always went against it. That's just who I am. I am an anti-arrow type of guy. <laughs> I always followed the I always followed the mass laws. Like that is one thing I'll say. I never wanted to be that guy getting that business in trouble, getting a fine for me not wearing the mask in this business. So I always wore my mask religiously. It was here just a, a little while ago where I actually threw them in the garbage. I had one of those cloth ones on the one of those homemade ones, whatever it was. Finally yeah. threw it in the garbage and went, I don't need that anymore and I'll never use it again. So Yeah, yeah. No, I did cooperate with the masks as well. Um, but we had one incident here where the, the masks were going to come off on Thursday. I believe it was like an announced that Thursday you can go without masks. And it was Tuesday that I went into the grocery store and I forgot my mask. And she let me know right away. She goes, you need to wear a mask. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. COVID knows the day of the week. Uh, I'm still in trouble until Tuesday because COVID will get me, right? I'm like, oh, just do it. I'm like, oh, I will, I will. <laughs> it's just, just the, the level of control that they had over us, right? It was like, no, we're going to do this on Thursday, but not on Tuesday. You know, any real government should have been like, no, we're lifting masks now. Have a great now. Day. Sorry for the yeah. trouble, but no, it's going to be Thursday and today's Tuesday. So that level of control and that power and people still obeyed by it it's like you know, I, even to this day i was driving through a town in british columbia the other day and a guy was standing there with rubber gloves on and a mask outside holding a bag of groceries and i'm like wow I, I don't even know what to say to you but other than good luck 
Well, maybe he has a medical condition. Let's just give him some credit. <laughs> that particular guy has the doctor's orders to continue. And if he does, good for him. Sure. Or some major dental issues that he's working on. He's just hiding them. <laughs> could be. Could be. I'm trying to find the silver lining for this guy. But yeah, I've seen people in the car still. I saw someone swimming with a mask in uh, West Edmonton Mall. What? Um, yeah, brother. <laughs> the wave pool. Oh. A little family. I was like, really? You're at the pool now. Well, I did. I did go to my daughter's last uh, band concert at school in my hometown there, and there was a young lad uh, doing singing with a mask on at the at the front of the stage. And I thought it looked a little awkward. I'm like, yeah, I don't even, you know, uh, singing vocals. Everybody on the stage was standing there without a mask on, but he had one on. So, no, it's 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 nuts. And then now all those people got the vax, and some of them getting injured, and they still know it's not the vax. So when yeah. people die unexpectedly, suddenly, Turbo no cancer. explanation. It's certainly not the vax. That's how quickly that information comes out. It is right because here in Alberta in twenty twenty one, yeah, twenty twenty one, we had three thousand six hundred and something unknown deaths, unknown causes, and people here know what that is, but the media is like, eh. Yeah, well, it happens. And that one hits a little bit closer to home for me. So one of my longest employees that I've had that the last number of years, his name is Jay Weedmark. He's from uh, just north of Calgary. He was my air drill puller. He did, uh, he's an independent owner operator. And he called me at uh, eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning on November 27th of last year. And he said, Chris, I'm not doing really good. I'm in, you know, they're rushing me into Saskatoon. I'm, I'm coughing blood and and uh, I'm a little nervous, but in his voicemail to me, he said, just in case something happens, the keys are in the cubby hole and the paperwork's on the dash. Well, a couple of days later, I had to drive to Rosetown to pick his truck up and the paperwork was on the dash and the keys were in the cubby hole. Jay passed away on the way to the hospital, coughing blood. So fully vaccinated and he wanted to cross that border. So he did what he could to adhere to the rules. And that was one guy that I'll never, ever, ever be able to replace. He was just an amazing guy. And to this day, he'll leave a huge hole. I'm sorry. How old was he? 42. God damn. Yeah. That breaks the heart. Oh, I ended up having to buy his truck from his estate. And uh, I have it on the fleet now. And I've put, uh, um, I put the big memorial sticker on the back. And we have memorial stickers on all the trucks for him. And even our pickup trucks. So yeah, he was, uh, he was an amazing guy. Hard. One of the hardest working guys you'd ever meet. And just gone, just gone like that. seems like they, they couldn't save him. He lost so much blood and coughing it up. They couldn't get him in fast enough and he went into cardiac arrest and they lost him. So 40, 41 or 42. I don't remember exactly how old he was, but 41 or 42. Way too soon. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah. And unexplained too, like no autopsy, just gone. Just yeah. Left a huge hole. I'm so sorry, brother. Um, next week, I believe I have an embalmer on out of mm -hmm. Ontario and one out of Alberta. We're going to be talking about what they're finding oh, yeah. in uh, in these bodies. It's it's insane. Uh, the truth is coming out. You're not going to be able to hold this one in in a genie bottle anymore. This truth is coming out. Oof. I'm sorry. I, I wasn't expecting that, and I'm sorry. Um, but, hey, this is what we're here to talk about, uh, what yep. really happened. People need to know the so, truth. Yeah. Yeah, especially with Dr. Uh, Chris Shoemaker. He's out there telling everybody the truth. He even found the data. He's showing the data. He's got some good information. And then they took his license away just to uh, demonize him so people stop listening to him. It's insane. It's insane. It 
Yeah. The power of the government right now is, is you know, resident of 1930s Germany, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure what year we're at. Are we in 30, 35? Which, which one are we at? We're getting close to... Yeah, probably early 30s right now. There's just built up with the propaganda, right? We were to... Do you think uh, we would recover if we replaced him? He might be replaced soon. I don't know. I don't know if we can come out of this. I think government's almost gone too far right now. Where even if he's gone, that that you know the, the people, the powers be above him, I think are still too powerful. Government's pretty much infiltrated every part of our lives now, hasn't it? There's some segment of it that needs to be basically just rewritten or rebuilt, maybe. Like they control every aspect of your life, and that's getting worse. Yeah, I, I, I've done the math. Like, there's a couple of solutions, and I'm, not, I'm sorry, we're getting off on the uh, convo thing. We'll, we'll, I'll get you back to that. But out west, if we could get enough independence and maybe PPC somewhere around there uh, to target the uh, balance of power that the NDP hold here in the west. Uh, if we could reclaim the balance of power, the West could have a stronger voice and bring that to uh, the House. There's no way we're going to take Prime Minister uh, no. at this stage, but 25 seats is all it would take to gain the control back into the West. So there, there's some of us talking about that, working hard. I'm doing independent here in Yellowhead. Um, so there may be some hope there. Um, and then this Trudeau thing that happened, and I'm very concerned. Uh, I think the WEF is dumping him. I think that's what's happening. Um, for the last six months or so, they stopped protecting him in the media, and they're now showing all the booze and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, by the way, they absolutely made a choice to do that. <laughs> the media doesn't have to show the booze, uh, but they are. And uh, I'm, I'm worried that Mark Carney is, is next in line, and, and Mark Carney is a far more dangerous and far more intelligent person than uh, our current uh, supreme leader yep. um so i'm i'm hesitant <laughs> i'm even concerned that um we're just we're just a couple years away maybe sooner um of having a, even a much more dangerous version of him are you familiar with mark carney i'm not no no i haven't been up to date on that yeah no worries other than mm -hmm. look out for him uh he was the bank of canada run us into the ground went to the uk the bank of the uk or british bank or whatever ran them into the ground and now he's next in line. Uh, we all believe, the, the people who follow the globalist, we're all, all believing that uh, he's next in line. It won't be Freeland. Uh, she doesn't have the support. No. No, and I don't think Pierre, I like Pierre Polyotifer, but even if he was to win, he's still a career politician. I'm sorry. But we need somebody in there with the mindset of running the country like a business, like somewhere else mm -hmm. was successful for four years until the establishment you know, booted out him too, right? Yeah, 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 and I think he'll come back. But yeah, you're you're not wrong. Like uh, Pierre is a bit of a queer politician. He was born in Alberta, but he certainly doesn't bleed our blood. Um, he's Ontario. Um, he definitely is part of that corridor there where they all get together. Um, I would support a conservative government over a liberal government, uh, but I think the conservative government absolutely needs some accountability and uh, uh, the balance of power not to be with them. They'd have to work with. And I do not like the idea of Canada continuing with the NDP in the balance of power. I think they've exposed themselves. They've shown who they are now. And this may be an opportunity over the next couple of elections to maybe shift that balance of power to independence slash PPC. Um, are you an independent supporter? Would you support a good candidate? 
Yes, 100%. I've got a good candidate through the Conservative Party in my local uh, local riding of uh, um, Grasslands in Saskatchewan. Jeremy Patzer's been, he's a good guy. He's an amazing guy. Um, David Anderson held that seat for many, many years, and mm-hmm. I support him morally. He's a good, good, strong citizen, too. So um, in my region right now, we're not really in any any trouble of losing that seat to an NDP or a liberal liberal party in Saskatchewan is pretty much terminated itself. Right. NDP is trying, but they don't seem to have any footholds. So yeah. And they're losing and NDP is losing support here in Alberta as well. They just lost an election and they're still with the rhetoric. So there may be lots of orange seats that can turn gray or purple. And, and that might make some change here as well. Now your guy that you're good with, can you maybe try and get him to contact me? Cause we're trying to get an MP to spend any attention on the coot situation we're not having any luck uh getting a single mp to spend any attention on it so if your guy's a good guy maybe you can send him our way sure yeah yeah we we just kind of want to understand why the mps are so quiet and and can they make any noise and more i want to understand what should we do in order to get the proper attention and do the right things um we don't want to be protesting like crazy but it, it can he maybe assist us and say Hey, if you guys do this, get this information together, and you guys do it in this way, you'll get the proper attention that you need. Uh, we're trying to look for some guidance like that. And that's there's a lot of support out there, and a lot of people within government support us. And I've heard this story through some of the big business owners that I deal with on a regular basis. But all of them kind of say the same thing. As soon as they stand up, it's political suicide. You know that that left wing side of the media, the left wing side of society, will just try and gobble them up like yesterday's dinner unfortunately mm. everybody's well scared. yeah and and it's working okay because mm-hmm. we're definitely being ignored and being ghosted by conservative leadership out here um and i don't think you're wrong at all i think that the political career and the political survival is front and center for them and they'll, they'll make the argument that if i'm out well, then i can't help you so i'm going to do what i can to stay in Absolutely. unfortunately under that <laughs> um mentality you do things like you vote yes on Bill C-4, and you don't speak up when you want to. Um, I think we need another class of, of MPs in there. Hopefully these good guys can smarten up. If we have another class that can maybe be the lightning rod inside of the House, guys like me, where they can throw all the insults at that, but we can still get some conservative support. I don't but know. It's, um, it, starts, it starts at your lower base. People need to start getting involved with your school boards and your local rural municipalities or your city councils. That's right. why we've lost right now is because those people in those, you know, the left side of things have now taken control over all that sort of stuff. And we need to take that back. You look at Danielle Smith in the last election there, you know, like a lot of freedom-based people got involved with her her uh, run and they did what they were intended to do. So. Yeah, but we have some problems. We've got to kind of hold her to yep. what she promised and, and yep. get through a couple little hiccups that we've had so far. Um, but yeah, she's she's... Look, I voted for her. My heart's with her. I hope she does half of the things she said she'll do. I'll be happy with that. I hope so, too, because she's really a breath of fresh air, and she needs to kind of... Uh, she's about the best thing we have going in politics right now. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. And then there's uh, Lisa Robinson over in Pickering. She's a counselor. You should look her up if you don't know her. She is an ex- shining light for us as well. She's trying to push forward an anti... Um, a pride parade and uh, indoctrination. No, not indoctrination. The uh, uh, story time hour. So she's trying to eliminate 
the sexualization and the sexuality from it. She's not trying to stop the events. She's trying to stop the nudity and the uh, extreme right uh, in public. So basically her, her bill that she's going to fail at because the entire council is against her is basically saying, I'm not joking, it says basically saying any adult entertainment out in public is illegal. Why is this even up for debate? Why do we even have to write a law around this? We do. Uh, but Lisa Robertson is also a nice uh, example of a counselor level who's trying to make make change. She's going to fail. Uh, we've already seen some votes go horribly uh, in, in that council, but that's a good start. And if we can get two more leases in there, maybe three more leases in there, then she'll get support, uh, maybe surpassing stuff. So you're, you're absolutely right. It starts from school boards and up. Uh, now, are you going to do anything? You're a business owner. You're well-known in your community. Is that something that you've been thinking about? Not necessarily well, MP, okay. but... My, my grandfather ran for local in the rural RM. My father is a sitting board member right now with our local council, and I will then probably take over dad's position. I get to ask that a lot, whether I'll run for politics. I, I don't. I, I'm not a politician. I... Uh, I'm so busy in day-to-day stuff with, you know, I've got a farm. I've got uh, kids that I still chase around and animals and uh, in the maintenance. By the time I get done with my maintenance, my paperwork, my office, I'm the guy. My wife does the books for the company. I do all the billing, the dispatch, the, you know, accounts payable, accounts receivable, all that sort of stuff. It's a busy day. I really, I struggle trying to keep up 90% of the time. <laughs> no, and I don't doubt it. And you, you said it, what I agree. Uh, we need more of a business mind in there. But the biggest challenge are business minds are smart and they don't want to be in politics. Um, immediately, 50% of the people hate you and want you out. That's all, that's as soon as you walk into the job. Um, even in your own party, even the own people that support you, you better get it all right because if you make one mistake, they're on you. And uh, it's not a paycheck increase for sure. <laughs> like if you are a business owner and you're doing well, uh, $200,000 a year isn't an increase. Um, and then if you have a scandal or you make a mistake or you screw up, it could ruin your legacy even. Um, so it's not a very attractive position for people that really think about it. And I think that's part of the problem uh, because we don't attract the best and the brightest, obviously, take the current guy. Um, we're stuck with whoever shows up, basically. And so you get the best of what's there. That's a tough pickle. That's a tough pickle because how do you attract uh, the the smarter minds when that's the environment they're getting into? Well, there's so many people that are so busy in today's world. Where do you find time? It's like you're busy. Any family right now that's trying to raise you know young children, you run nonstop. And then when you're looking at housing prices and grocery prices, and you know, like I just got my tax or my uh, my house insurance bill, and it's up to six hundred and some dollars a month for my household insurance for my farm. It's a that's ridiculous, but that's where we are. So you have to work a little harder to make those payments on, on everything every month. And that's where we get tied down and we can't all stand up. And, and, you know, maybe I'm a perfect example of that too. I've just had my head buried in the sand. You know, I commonly say that I'm the guy that's been yelling at the steering wheel or at the windshield for the last number of years at the direction of my country. And it took one little event where the government pushed too far for me to say, I'm stop, I'm done. And you stand up. Mm -hmm. What is that going to be for everybody else? Because there's, you know, you're 40% of Canadians out there that just want to be left alone. What what point do they say, I've had enough. This is the straw that broke my back. I don't know, man. And, and I'm, I don't want to say hoping because that seems to be like the wrong word here. But I'm kind of 
banking on the indoctrination, the gender issue, and uh, uh, vaccine harm. These coming to the forefront to, to wake more people up. Um, the PPC have done some number crunching. And I bring up the PPC a lot because they're really the only party that will talk to me. Um, and, they, and they do, and they give me information. But they found a, a large increase from NDP and Liberal voters, not CPC, uh, joining the PPC. Good news. And a lot of parents who are just tired of what's going on, they're leaving NDP, Liberal, uh, headed to uh, PPC or Independent. But that's not going to be enough. Uh, that That's a bit of a trickle. We need to wake up the non-voters, the never voters and should voters. Uh, that group is is large enough to really move that needle. Um, so so maybe we should start focusing on how we can wake up on a grassroots level voters. <laughs> People who haven't vote, wouldn't vote, and, and don't plan to vote. Let's get them to vote. Because uh, they make up uh, such a large group that, yeah, we absolutely can swing that needle. 100%. Yeah, so that might be something we can work on in the near future as this election comes. Because if you don't, if we don't move that balance of power around or even cut it in half, it's going to be another coalition of some sort. And there's going to be agreements that we don't like uh, happening. $600 million every time we have an election. You know, it's just, it's just, it's money in the kitty, right? <laughs> and to find out we have no change, right? Jagmeet's always going to back his buddy Trudeau and we don't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong at all. All right, so I'm going to bring us back into Ottawa during the cold of February. Um, so now you guys are there past the weekend. And bouncy castles went up, uh, hot tubs went up, and now the mayor is pissed. Okay, now he comes out and he is mad. He's like, look at what they're doing here now. Uh, this is an embarrassment, uh, yada, yada, because bouncy castles are super dangerous. Um, so he, he came out with that kind of statement and basically telling you guys you're no longer welcome. Do you remember that kind of uh, when that started to come out? Yeah, yeah, I remember him being very boisterous with his opinion that didn't really matter. But <laughs> well, it was the start of the domino to eventually uh, boots on the ground. Um, that's that's how uh, we learned in the POEC. It was basically the bouncy castles was enough to throw him off. Maybe he has a bouncy castle story from his childhood. Maybe he expected one at his party and never showed up, but he seems to hate them. Um, so this happened to you guys. Now you start getting word because at this time, are you talking to liaisons from OPP? Because I know they were with the truck truckers along the way, but are you having dialogue with them at this point? Yeah, every day. Uh, it was, uh, you know, my, my main role, I guess, is as one of the persons there was working with local law enforcement, making sure emergency lane traffic was open wherever we went. And that was, I didn't spend a lot of time in the boardrooms. I didn't spend a lot of time um, with in, in meetings, that sort of stuff that was definitely there for some of them. My majority of my time was all spent making sure everybody was safe, um, making sure people were looked after. They had the, the needs and everything they were, they were wanting, or if there was a safety concern or that sort of thing, we worked with police on a daily basis. So I would spend a whole day working with police and the people that were close to me trying to open up this lane of traffic here and there and make sure in case an ambulance had to get through. I never wanted that on my uh, on my head, knowing mm -hmm. that somebody could possibly get hurt or somebody couldn't get to where they had. So we had emergency lanes open wherever we went. I think there's a couple of intersections that were a little tricky. It, we definitely tried. I remember I almost got my ass kicked in Rideau and Sussex trying to make sure that was open under police guidance, you know, trying to make those guys get moved. And I, I was intimidated enough where I thought I was going to be the one getting my ass beat by the protesters because I was the one pushing for emergency lanes open. So um, right. 
definitely that was the main goal was make sure public safety and people were looked after and i anybody you'll talk to will know that i was i never liked the horns never did um I never blew a horn when I was in Ottawa. The truck was always parked, and then it was taken out after the first week. We had fears and stories that, that Antifa was going to do something to, to to vandal it. So that's kind of my baby. As soon as I heard that rumor, we fired it up and got it the hell out of there. So put it in a safe place where we could actually wash it and get the salt off because that truck was covered in salt. Ontario has a lot of salt, doesn't it? <laughs> they do, yeah. I don't miss yeah. running trucks out there. I, I rarely go into Ontario anymore with with the semis. So, but I did do my yeah. time years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So now you're hearing Antifa is going to cause problems. You move your truck because that's just insane. Now, were the police assisting you with that? Or was Antifa coming in and they were stopping, or were you guys kind of no. doing it yourself? I, I remember making complaints to the police officers saying, like, you know, like these members of Antifa were walking around with marbles and people were throwing eggs and rocks and, um, what do they call them? Little marbles. There was a lot of that sort of stuff. There was even a couple of people wiping dog feces on truck handles and that sort of stuff. Um, nothing the ever seen. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We did with yeah. it. We, we, there were certain guys in the areas where they, they watched their equipment overnight and some guys stayed up all night to make sure that everybody was safe in the area. And it was definitely a tricky one. For sure. All right, so now Big Red is gone, and it's getting more hostile. You're getting resistance and problems out of uh, counter-protesters and Tifa. They're actually trying to instigate and cause a big problem. I'm sure there's a camera near them just waiting for you guys to swing. Um, there's probably a lot of instigating going on there. Didn't happen, though. So you guys didn't fall for that bait at all. No. The rule of thumb on the streets were, were peace and uh, unity and love. And that's what we portrayed the whole entire time. And, and that's what was done. So no matter what they threw at us, we, we followed through with return with love and peace and, and no fighting. Yeah. And that was kind of what I was hoping when it all started. I said, I hope there's not a broken nose. There's not a snowball on a police officer. And I hope there's no ambulances blocked. Those right. were kind of my hopes that none of that happened because that's exactly how it will get twisted uh, very quickly on you. And you didn't. Well, you look at the, some of the propaganda they used against us. For kind of loud, we put a somebody put a flag on Terry Fox's back and uh, and a statue of anti-mandates or that on his chest. I mean, it was a sign that could be taken off and a flag. It's a Canadian flag on his back. I mean, they've done that with the rainbow flag, and it would seem to be okay. So I'm not quite sure the media used that as a propaganda tool against us because you know, honestly, mm -hmm. who wouldn't want to hate us if we were vandalizing somebody like Terry Fox? He's a Canadian icon. And he needs to be remembered at that. But there was never any of that. No, I know. I understand. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, that's BS. Uh, dancing on the uh, unknown oh, soldier's grave. That was some drunk, yeah. you know, it was, it was, it happened before we got there. I'd heard, I didn't, and none of the people that I stood with in Ottawa would be that stupid. We respect our veterans. Anybody that I associate myself with definitely does. I've got a high level of respect for all forces of law enforcement, as well as our veterans. Okay, so we it got protected. There was a fence at one point. Alex Cabana was one of the guys who helped take that down. Um, and then they protected it. They did it in shifts. I had an entire video or interview of him how they were doing that. And I think I he had there. like the day shift. Yeah, I was yeah. there the day they took the fence down. Oh, then you likely met or at least saw Alex because he was very responsible. Would have been there. Yeah, yeah. There was. I've met a lot of people there. A lot of good people. So. Yeah, and they're still out there, still doing their thing and and staying connected to it. 
All right, so now we're getting closer to February 9th or so, and I'm going to bring you to that day because that's the day that uh, Steve, uh, City Manager Steve something, uh, was, yeah, he was working with uh, Tom Razzo and, and other people to try to move some trucks and stuff like that. But on this date, Tom was getting frustrated because there were barriers in the way, and he was trying to get a hold of somebody to remove the barriers, and he failed. Uh, he wasn't able to get anybody to, to move the barriers. So were you around when the discussion was, we're going to move trucks around, we're working with Steve at the city, uh, we're kind of cooperating. Were you around for that part? So I was in I was in Mayor's Chambers on February 13th, a meeting with Steve and somebody from the police force, as well as somebody, there were three people there from the government side of things, not the federal government, three people, one from the Mayor's Chamber, one from the police liaison team, and, and somebody else, I don't recall who the other one was. Uh, he, Eva was there, Tom Marazzo, and somebody else, but I don't remember. And our main goal after leaving that, meeting that night was to move trucks on to wellington and that was the goal then on february 14th on valentine's day our goal was to set out to uh, to get as many trucks out of the residential area where we wanted them we never wanted them there in the first place that was always something that didn't work out quite right and so it was our opportunity to have some sort of a dialogue with some level of government that we could start moving trucks and we get a lot of criticism some people like to say that that was a setup and you know you moved the trucks on there so they were easily kettled and they were easily kettled, whether they were on uh, Kenton, Albert, or or uh, Wellington, for crying out loud. Quit with the with the nastiness, but that yeah, was look, the that might have been exactly what they were trying to do. But you weren't participating in that. That wasn't your plan. Uh, you were just working with them uh, to try and move things around and calm the situation on the thirteenth. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Now the thirteenth is when some arrests started in Coots. So late on the thirteenth is when started rounding up some of the people out here and then break the news on the 14th that uh, there's a cache of guns and Coots is now going to end. It went all violent and crazy. This is the narrative, not the truth. Um, I'll be clear about that because we've now learned the truth and it wasn't that. Um, but did you guys hear about that out there that they're now talking about guns in Alberta? I did hear about that. Actually, there was a story out there too. That like 2,000 guns went missing about 20 minutes outside of Ottawa, and that was the story. Was Peter like, I wonder where those are going to... Yeah, somewhere outside. I don't remember exactly where. But that was the joke made to the to one of the officers there. It was like, well, I wonder where those guns are going to show up because you guys don't want them here, do you? You know, come on. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't in contact yep. with a lot of the people from Coots. There was, a lot of people need to know those were all separate protests. So even um, Windsor and Coots and all that was all... They were essentially separate from what was right. going on in Ottawa. We were so busy there trying to make sure, I was so busy trying to keep everybody that I was trying to help kind of under lock and step and key, make sure everybody was peaceful and everybody was looked after. Now, in the POEC, we learned that at least by February 12th, they were starting to contemplate the Emergency Act. Rumor is far, far sooner than that. Mm -hmm. um, when did you get wind that there was at least a rumor that the emergency act might be invoked? I remember sitting in one of the hotel rooms watching it with, uh, with Keith Wilson and, and Eva were there. I don't remember if Tamara was there or not, but I believe she was. We had some sort of a sit-down meeting when that when it all transpired. And then, I mean, it was, it was there. It was real then. So, But I didn't know. Now I was so busy going up to that. I don't think I was paying attention, to be honest with you, what was going on in that. 
No, fair enough. You were still doing the logistics on the street, making sure yeah. things were safe and stuff like that, and dealing with some of those fights like at Rodu. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was far, far Fada or something like that that took that corner, right? Yeah, I don't remember how you called them. They're the French guys. I called them very, very, very passionate um, Quebecers because they were very passionate, and when they were, they weren't. Uh, they weren't to be reasoned with. They had their stance and they stood there proud. And no matter what we did, it was uh, couldn't couldn't get anywhere with them. So no, no, fair enough. So now mid Valentine's Day, which is by the way my birthday. So thank you a lot, there Trudeau. Uh, you made my birthday one of these days that I have to remember now. Uh, but yeah, February fourteenth, he comes out and he says, "All right, I'm going to break your skulls." So next, you guys said, "Oh, what are we going to do now?" So take me through what happened in your mind when you heard the EA has been evoked and they're definitely going to start coming in and with force uh, deal with the situation. Did you realize the extent of it at that point or did it start to sink in a couple of days later as they started to mobilize? Well, we were just we were always told from our legal advisors that were there with us saying that it was still deemed a, pol a, pol a peaceful protest. So. You know why? Why? Why wouldn't they just come and have a conversation with us? We uh, we weren't there hurting anyone. We weren't there, you know, breaking any rules, being annoying maybe for the government. But you know, a simple conversation on behalf of our federal government would have solved a lot of issues. But mm -hmm. yeah, I got to be careful in some of the stuff that I answer now because yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. We'll have trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, STFU is what you can say if we're getting too close yeah. to anything at all. Um, because I'm just trying to understand what you were doing personally, uh, only because um, I don't want to talk about anybody else and what you're working with. Yeah. Um, but Big Red is gone. Uh, we're now on the 14th. They talked about it. Your legal advisors are saying, I don't even understand why they're doing that. It's still legal. Um, but the government disagrees. We certainly heard that in the POEC. Now, one of the things that uh, bothered me about the POEC was it was clear to at least the uh, narrative from the government they were expecting you guys to have 100% cooperation of all the protesters there. You guys were expected to be able to coordinate, move, and deal with 100%. 50% wasn't enough for them. 80% wasn't enough for them. 95% wasn't enough for them. They wanted 100%. Can you explain to Canadians how impossible that is? And that's such an insane expectation to have on any group that's a grassroots? I had no control over anybody there other than my, myself. I can guarantee you that. I use the analogy of it was hurting like hurting cats. Um, no, everybody was there on their own account, and and no, oh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we'd look at a street and say, "Hey, there's a vehicle there that shouldn't be there. Can you move the vehicle over?" And you'd work with police liaisons to, and you'd work with them, and they'd move their vehicle, and it was fine. And the next morning, you'd come back, and there'd be another vehicle in there, and be like, "Hey, we have to do this again," you know. And the other analogy I like to use too, it was like usually when you put two hundred truck drivers in a room somebody's going to get a black eye or a bloody nose or something like that. Cause usually 90% of the time truckers usually don't all see the eye to eye. And here we put this many people out there and it was all unison and peaceful. Um, but there again, there was no, there was no controlling anyone. They were, they were there on their own account. And as you would expect, cause it wasn't a centralized coordinated anything. This is a hundred percent grassroots and that's exactly what it looks like. Right. Yes. <laughs> like that's why I was so frustrated with the, the comments out of the government each time. Like, um, uh, we were expecting them to get a 100% buy-in. We wanted everybody to support it. And they, they, they clearly didn't have control as leaders. You're not supposed to. This is a grassroots organization. Well, you wanted accountability so my, government. 
Right. So even the government only has 40% support, this current one. So I'm not sure where they're expecting anybody to get 100% support or anything. Exactly. Um, but right, uh, they kept saying that. They kept saying that, that they were coordinating with Tom, Tamara, you, Keith, uh, Eva. But they're expecting you guys to represent everybody. And because of that, they called that a collapse of the leadership. Therefore, they're incapable of working with us. Therefore, we have to bring in some heavy boots. See how they connected those dots there? Yeah. Yeah. Because nothing says Canadian more than beating the shit out of an innocent protester in the middle of their cap nation's capital, right? And that happened a lot. Protester, no, but but an offensive def uh, defenseman on the ice, yes, that's yeah. where those beatings should be happening. That was just down from down from the from the from the Supreme Court where we had the little hockey rink where you could go out and body check people with you know billy clubs. <laughs> that was insane, right? There's a new type of hockey. They were way offside on that one. Yeah, I didn't All right, think, you know, I was arrested on the 17th. So when I was arrested, I was then then put into. Uh, the cells and uh, when i was released from there i was essentially back to the hotel for one night i walked from the police station down to where my wife and dog and son were and uh and that was the extent of my zippy? Time. yeah zippy hey, he's outside somewhere yeah. here i heard him i heard him bark a few minutes ago all right so zippy's enjoying it too any charges on zippy no zip zip found out he was fine I know they didn't find he's a it. fed then that's what i understand all <laughs> leaders not charged as a fed so zippy's Every a fed Everybody's an operative. Everybody's a fed. So I like the one nickname now some people have for me, Big Fed, because I've got 20 <laughs> days in court next, you know, the next couple months here. That That's not good enough when you're a federal agent or operative, I guess. Yeah. My, my general rule is anybody accusing somebody of being a fed is a fed themselves. Absolutely. Uh, only feds say that. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't think that way. We don't think you must be a fed. We think, hey, let's cooperate. <laughs> let's talk. There's got to be something wrong. I, I kind of contribute that. There's, there's, this movement has brought a lot of people into it that didn't have enough, you know, things to keep their mind occupied. It, I think, was what the trouble with some of these people are. That's what happens when you lock us down and take away the gyms. All right. Yep. We get a little squirrely, don't we? Even in the middle of winter. <laughs> right. I mean, so you're arrested. Yeah, you're arrested in 17. So you missed all the, the fun parts. And so that you were actually in the cell at that time. So yeah, when I was released, I uh, was. This is a funny story, and a lot of people probably don't know this, but on the the nineteenth, I think it was, I was released to spend twenty six hours in jail. So I guess it'd been the eighteenth that I was released, and it was basically in the cell on the bottom of Ottawa City Police Station. They said at the top of those stairs will be a brown door. You turn left, you're on the street, and uh, I didn't have a cell phone. They confiscated that, and uh, I walked up the stairs and opened this door to a quiet winter night in Ottawa, and it was just slightly snowing. And uh, I didn't know what direction I was. I didn't know what direction east, west, south was. I had to yell at, thank God somebody was walking down the street. And I yelled at him and I said, hey, what direction to the war monument? And, and they said, that way, a mile <laughs> or a kilometer or something like that. And so I started walking and all along my walk, I see nothing but Ottawa City police were parked on the side of the road watching me as I walked. And I went right to the hotel room and uh, the lawyer was on the phone with my wife. And she said, you stay in the hotel room. In the morning, when you leave, you leave and, you know, I exit the elevator into an awaiting car and you don't come back. We had 24 hours to exit the city of Ottawa. It was part of my conditions. Mm -hmm. And 72 hours to exit the province of Ontario. So we uh, we went out to where the truck was parked and warmed it up, said our goodbyes. I had my son. I took a couple people with me. Um, I actually took a couple people with me that were, were protesting too. Uh, 
Nicole was um, was a lady that threw her two children in the truck from North Battleford, and they were going to go to Regina and turn around. Uh-huh. And then she said, we're going to go to Winnipeg, and then we're going to turn around. And three weeks later, I said to Nicole, I'm like, okay, what's going to happen now isn't healthy, and you've got two kids in the truck. And she made the comment crying. She said, but I want to stay, and I want to fight. And I said, mm-hmm. uh, Nicole, like, if you didn't have two children in the truck with you, I would be 100% supportive, but... Um, now she, she, she did some crying and she fired her truck and she followed us home. So we, uh, yeah, it was a long drive home. It was, I've never been so happy to see the Manitoba border sign and even happier to see the Saskatchewan sign when we were on our way home. Yeah. So you didn't stay the whole 72 hours. You just bolted and got out of there as soon as you can. Yeah, we booked her. We got out of there and I had to stay in touch with the police. The, our, uh, investigating officers sent him, um, you know, update messages where we were each night and we were on our way. And remember we broke a front leaf spring on red because red has a very special front end on it. It's, it's on an air, right? So it can actually lower and raise itself. And, uh, I don't know what happened, but we got to North Bay and one of the leaf springs broke on the front of the truck. So basically it's, it's a, an out of service. You can't do that. But knowing that I had charges, you know, we had this amount of time to get out of the province of Ontario. Mm-hmm we made it work. We got it home. I wasn't leaving my baby. I had buddies, you know, waiting for me to give them the word to come with a removable gooseneck trailer all the way from Saskatchewan to come pick us up if need be. But we limped it all the way home. Yeah. And I can understand that the mentality of you, like, no, I'm not going to go hit a new garage. I'm not going to even risk that. Um, they've already shown me their, their cards. They're willing to do almost anything. So get out of Dodge. Yeah, even look at Tara on the breach charge. I mean, that was, uh, you know, pretty horrible. Now, I'm just going to ask you, you can say no comment, but how was your mental health at this stage? Were you feeling it? Were you, were you getting a little dark on it, or are you holding strong? Yeah, holding strong. Um, it's definitely a lot. I would say probably in the last year or so, you know, you can, you can let your mind go into sour places when, you know, you've got you know, the lawyer, Paul Champ and Zexy Lee in the city of Ottawa with a $400 million lawsuit against, you know, my name's the number one name on the top of that suit as well as Tamara and others. Um, you know, and then you're, you're facing two to 10 years in federal prison for what, you know, um, we're going to sit in court for the next two months. I've, uh, I'm pretty much going to go home and, uh, prepare my yard for winter and then, uh, and then head off back East for, you know, basically two months. Our trial starts September 5th. And the last date on the docket right now is November 2nd. And that is going to be pretty much the full month of September. And then two weeks in the month of October going into November. So it does weigh pretty heavy on your head when you stop and think about it. But I I keep, I try to keep busy and try to keep my head off of it. And then just focus on the positive, I guess. It's tricky. Well, for sure, for sure. Well, if you want a good laugh, um, so the Trudeau video I have when I did the uh, POEC coverage, I was interviewing people as he came out. Paul Champ came out. He came right up and I said, hey, Paul, you want to talk? And he came right up to me like inches away from my face, pulled off his mask, and we talked for a little bit. I was just sitting there with a dumb grin on my face because I can't believe he pulled off his mask and here he is <laughs> giving me an interview. It was it was. Pod, podcast gold i gotta tell it you it was hilarious watching him in the uh, in the in the poec because you know i'd sat with tamara and eva keith and brenda miller all those people and paul would like literally put his mask on for the cameras but then walk back yeah. and take his mask off and then touch his face and 
Oh, come on, Paul. But I purposely made him say good morning to me as many times as I could walking in there. And he, he did return the good morning. So that's a good thing. So yeah. he's definitely. And I'm surprised he still has a career after that anti-Semitic comment he made during Jeremy's uh, interview. You remember that one? Well, through when, uh, was that when Tom Morazzo? Because he made a couple really, yeah, no, that was Tom Morazzo, wasn't it? Or Danny Bulford? Well, he may have done many of them, but it was uh, Jeremy McKenzie. (laughs) He just put it out there. He may have had more than one. But Jeremy McKenzie was talking about how one of his um, uh, leaders or guys that worked with him was black. Yeah. No, no, it was black. And then then that's where Paul Champ said, and is the accountant Jewish? Yeah. Um, That comment is like... There was more the wrong, than one the wrong time. Side. He, I think he, you're right. Yeah, he had the courtroom erupt more than once because of some of his antics. So I didn't hear any ambulances go by, but I'm pretty sure if there would have, he would have been busy doing He would have ran out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, he's making a lot of headaches for uh, Pat King, though. Holy smokes. Oh, making a lot of headaches for that guy. You know, and a lot of you know, Pat. He's uh, now got a little bit more power, and he's able to use the social media for uh, for good fundraising. The guy needs some help. I mean, for crying out loud, he's uh, he's definitely spent the most amount of time in jail, and uh, and a lot of people. It's no secret that Pat and I didn't always see eye to eye, but you don't wish the guy ill, and he's definitely his heart's in the right place, and need to give him a little bit more credit than what they're giving him right now. Yeah, yeah, and I actually had somebody tell me just the other day, uh, when this is all done, Trudeau should get the same treatment as Pat King. And so I asked, so we should remove a leg? <laughs> well, I can <laughs> tell you, for the guy sitting in jail for as long as he did, I mean, his his, his leg's missing and he has a stump there and that stump was infected. And, and That's right, that's what I was getting at. He got septic shock, he had some problems, it got, yeah. yep. Nobody cared. This is, you know, the guy could have died in jail for crying out loud and what where's the where's the punishment where's the redemption in that yeah just to let you know we have a gentleman here named tony olenek um he's got some gut issues they're not treating him he's lost a ton of weight he's half the man he used to be they're not even assisting we had dr shoemaker on to talk about that specifically he gave us some great advice dietary changes that can happen like get lemon water you won't get that Uh, greek yogurt you won't get that He's back in in Medicine Hat now. Um, One of the girls that I deal with goes to see him on a regular basis. She's an amazing person, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's a good thing around these men. There's a lot of people around them that are amazing. They do get lots of visitors and and lots of support, and it's growing. It's growing, like, every single day now. Um, So we're we're happy about that. Now, I am going to chat with you offline because what I wanted to start doing... Um, so I've been covering the Coots 4 for about six weeks now, mm-hmm. and uh, we're kind of waiting for November. We've got a lot of stuff still to talk about. But I'm going to expand this coverage to political prisoners across Canada, um, and that would be anybody politically prosecuted or persecuted, which is going to include you and Tamara and, and Pat King and stuff. But I'm trying to get the names of a whole bunch of other people we don't know about because there's a lot of forgotten Canadians out there. Um, so if you can maybe put the word out to your people and say, hey, if you were debanked, charged, convicted, pleaded, held, jailed, or released. Yeah. So if any of those happen to you, <laughs> I want to hear from you because uh, we definitely we definitely want to highlight the fact that this has happened to so many Canadians. Um, I was on InfoWars today, which is awesome. Um, and that's what we spoke about. We were speaking about the political prisoners here in Canada. So we're going to continue with that story. Uh, we're going to continue to get that information out. So maybe make a call to your buddies and say, if any of that happened to you, 
debanked yeah. all the way to released. Uh, I want to hear from you because we want to. The Coots 4 is the guys that we should be worried about. Their next trial date is now they're going to sit there in a jail cell and, and Tamara and I will go to trial and have our trial and be completed with our trial before their before. next trial date. So how many Correct. people out there have we seen do horrendous crimes in this country and be released on bail the next day? And these four are sitting in a jail cell, literally rotting. They've lost everything. Yep. And no, nobody is focusing their attention. We should be angry at this. We are. We are. This is Alberta angry. Yes. Right there. We are angry, and we're not going to forget about them, and we're absolutely continuing with them front and center. We don't want to forget about others, too, though. We forgot about these four for too long. Oh. We regret that. Yep. But we have others as well that we definitely need to uh, highlight as well. Uh, Windsor alone, there's 30 people out there that uh, are facing these charges right now. Um, oh. Yeah, so there's just quite a few. So, of course, our men, here they are. We keep <laughs> them front and center. Um, but we have a lot of problems here in Canada that we need to highlight as well. Yes, we do, definitely. All right. Well, I can't take you any further because the rest of my conversations will have to be after you're done um, to see what we can and can't talk about uh, because you're now getting ready for September. We are. Well, Chris, look, uh, I want to do this again with you soon. Uh, maybe we'll chat uh, offline a little bit about some other things we can work on together. Um, I have no idea what the future holds, but I certainly feel like we're on a path still. And I don't think the convoy ever ended. It might have just regrouped. We're going to flush ourselves out, maybe get a little bit of weight loss on some of the stuff that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And uh, Canada, it's not fixed yet. It's no, not, fixed not yet. even close. And it's we're just breaching the top of that. We just keep working and pushing forward. And right now, the priority would be the, the legal challenges that we face right now. That's obviously the next. And then after that, we'll see what the future holds. So. You got it. You got it. You want to say anything last last comments to Canada? Uh, just just to know to thank everyone for the support out there across this country. Uh, I can tell you right now that if, if it wasn't for all the support behind us right now, it would be a totally different mindset. So that's what keeps us strong, especially Tamara and, and myself and, and others. So we, we really gratefully appreciate all the support. And hopefully uh, one day soon we'll be able to hang out and have a conversation. Maybe Tamara and I can both come on your show at the same time and have a chit chat. So. I would love that. I would love an unfiltered, uh, no condition conversation. Right. That would be great. That would be nice. so. I'd love to do that with you, Chris. Well, give us a Hong Kong or Heil Hitler, whatever you want to say, Hong Kong. <laughs> I'll take the Hong Kong <laughs> any day over the other one. So. Absolutely, Hong Kong, brother. Thank you very much for all you're doing. Sorry about your sacrifice. You are on a path. There's a purpose here, and I know you can handle it. God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. So thank Absolutely. you very much, Chris. Appreciate you having me on there, Jason. Totally do. No problem. And give uh, Zippy a pet for us. I will. He's outside now. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.